0: Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM.
1: And a very good morning to you. This is Mick Mulcahy. The price is right. No, it's not right. It's fright uh, in big red letters uh, on the front page of the mirror today. Shoppers will spend 453 euros more on food this year. Uh, I saw uh, an incredible uh, 500 euro a week Uh, Food prediction within the next six months in uh, one of yesterday's online papers. Uh, I hope that doesn't uh, come to pass. But soaring prices will see Irish households spend an average of €453 more on their groceries over the course of this year. New research has shown the sharpest increases are in everyday essentials such as butter, eggs, bread and flour. Uh, retail analyst Kantar had found the company's Emer Healy warned food and drink prices are on a steady upwards trajectory. Supermarket weep, consumers shopping less amid inflation and people are ditching popular brands in favour of own brand alternatives as groceries are to cost an average of 453 euros more this year. Kantar found that two thirds of people say they will now go for a supermarket's own brand alternative over the more expensive popular brand of the same staple or the same product. Echo front page, uh, this is heavily covered in most of the morning papers today. Jailed for harassment, online posts caused enormous stress. Um, Many people need an online presence and must be allowed to do so without harassment and lies being told about them via the internet. Uh, on the internet, you're publishing to the world, you do it wrong, and uh, you could fall foul of the authorities. And the sentencing judge in this case declared uh, where a Cork woman would be jailed for two years. Sonia Egan carried out a campaign of harassment for approximately one year against former Sinn Féin TD Jonathan O'Brien and a woman working in the community in Cork, which had a devastating effect on both victims. The judge said that one of the victims, Laura O'Connell, had to have an online presence in order to set up a business, and that Mr O'Brien had an online presence as part of his work as a politician. Judge Helen Boyle said it's important that people do that without harassment, lies or intimidation. And we're hoping to speak to Barry Roach on that topic, so I'll leave it there for now and continue with the rest of the morning papers. Five-year-old Adam Clark crossed the finish line of his six-kilometre charity mini-marathon yesterday, along with his junior infant classmates, raising over €11,000 for Enable Ireland in the process. Uh, And well done uh, to all concerned. Big smiles and a big, big happy story amidst all of the doom and gloom about Uh, recession and inflation. Adam was born with cerebral palsy and attends Enable Ireland services in Cork and despite having surgery last November Adam and his family were determined to complete the six kilometres and raise funds for Enable Ireland's children's service in Correhean. Completing the walk was a big occasion for Adam and his mother uh, as his mother Therese explained Adam is an adorably witty five-year-old boy who was born with cerebral palsy she said He's had triplegic cerebral palsy where it affects three of his limbs, both of his legs and his upper right side. And Adam gets about aided with his walker and also has Ted. Ted is his power wheelchair. So with the aid of the walker, Adam reached his goal of walking the six kilometers yesterday, surrounded by family and friends. And was joined for the last quarter of a kilometre by his 20 junior infant classmates at Newcestown National School. Well done to you, Adam. Hats off to you, young man. Average house prices in Cork are 20k more than prices nationally. Don Lokeef reporting in the Echo that the average price of a house in Cork is almost 20,000 more than the average price of a house nationally. A new report has found. Have you checked out the highest prices in Donegal? Uh, you'd buy two houses in Donegal for the cost of one here, and I'm talking two houses of the similar uh, standard and stature. Uh, anyway, that's an aside. According to the latest DAF.ie report, the average price of a house in Cork is three hundred and thirty-one thousand euros, against a, a national average of three hundred and twelve. A difference of nineteen thousand euros. The average price of a house in Cork increased in the past year from three hundred three to three thirty-one, a hike of twenty-eight thousand euros. And Cork North Central Socialist TD McBarry noted that the average price of a house in Cork increased last year by more than the average wage of a young worker. Okay, and uh, we have Barry Roach on the line, so I will come back to the morning papers uh, after we uh, get him on because I know he is under some time pressure. Barry Roach, good morning. Good morning, Mick. How are you doing? Very good. Irish Times Southern correspondent. Now, uh, we've just detailed in the papers a 42-year-old woman has been jailed for two years for subjecting a Sinn Féin TD and a businesswoman to separate campaigns of harassment in person and on social media, including a false claim. They bullied her to the point she miscarried and contemplated suicide. Very serious stuff.
2: Yes, uh, Mick, an extraordinary case, really. woman called Sonia Egan, uh, living at the law in Lis Colleens, and she pleaded guilty last month. To two counts of harassing, firstly harassing Cork North and Infant TD Jonathan O'Brien as he was then former TD now and a businesswoman Laura O'Connell and are uh, roughly the dates were between 2018 and 2019 and they're contrary to Section 10 of the non fatal Offences Against the Person Act 1997. Uh, we heard last month at the hearing uh, she pleaded guilty just before she was due to go on trial and we heard from um, the, the investigating officer Sergeant John Sheehy how Egan had contacted Mr. O'Brien to about what she claimed was a conspiracy to cover up sex abuse she alleged she had suffered as a child and although he was dubious about her claims he told her the procedure involved in making a protected disclosure uh, she became members in pain and uh, then he, he said that he'd offer moral support uh, she was overwhelmed by the abuse that she had suffered, but she began sending him suggested messages that made him feel uneasy, and she told him then that she had feelings for him that went beyond friendship. She started sending him emails and text messages, including some from fake accounts, and I suppose notably one that she purported, or one that purported to be from the then leader of the Labor, British Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, in which he revealed that she, he, he, she was his daughter, another one from a woman in Belfast called Mary McKiernan, again a false account, uh, and she claimed in that that Egan was the niece of Jerry Conlon, one of the uh, convicted uh, men wrongly convicted for the Guildford bombing in '74 in Britain. She also then began sending emails to other members of Sinn Féin, alleging that Jonathan O'Brien was bullying her and that he betrayed her confidence. And she posted on Facebook uh, a false allegation that by bullying her, he had caused her to lose the baby she was expecting uh, and that she had driven to point of suicide. We also heard uh, from Sergeant Sheehy about the other victim in the case then. Well, sorry, I should just say in that that Gardy Jonathan O'Brien told Gardy that he received over a thousand emails from Egan and some days he received over... 20, 50, a hundred
1: texts a day?
2: A hundred texts a day, yeah, and I mean, it's extraordinary numbers. Uh, they found that he, over a six-month period, she had, or Jonathan O'Brien had received five thousand five hundred calls and text messages from her over a six-month period—extraordinary numbers. Uh, she turned up at his place, the working lense, rose the man, to speak to him, and she publicly stated on Facebook on a number of occasions that she had taken over with us. It was his fault. Really disturbing, distressing sort of stuff for Jonathan O'Brien, obviously. Uh, she also approached his daughter place of work asking questions about him and she also sent him photos of his deceased father on multiple occasions and when he made a complaint to the RD then she called him a rat and publicly posted, you don't rat on a Republican. Uh, There was a disciplinary hearing held within uh, Sinn Féin Uh, she gave an undertaking to desist from her actions and to stop contacting him but she failed to do that and continued harassing him Uh, the other victim as I say in the case was um, a woman called Laura O'Connell she presented herself as a barrister to Laura O'Connell. They met in a, a community meeting about an environmental issue. Uh, she turned up on one occasion in the barrister's gone and claimed she'd just come from Washington Street Courthouse. Uh, Laura O'Connell became a bit apprehensive about her after a couple of meetings and began to distance herself from her. But as she did, Egan began bombarding her with emails and Facebook messages alleging she had breached her trust in matters, that she disclosed her. And again on Facebook, she accused Laura O'Connell of bullying her and then went posted messages from profiles commenting on the abuse and claimed that she was going to commit suicide over the reports that O'Connell had made against her. We heard from uh, Laura O'Connell that day she gave a victim impact statement and a really powerful one it was too. She said from the day that she met uh, Egan on the 8th of March 2018 and introduced herself. Or at the residence group uh, she said since that day my life has never been the same she's mentally broken me set me back in my health and impoverished me to the point where I now have to engage with insolvency services and defend an execution order for an exorbitant legal bill that I know to try and pay for we heard that she, she and Jonathan O'Brien had to go and get high court injunctions against Sonia Egan to prevent her from posting the false allegations on Facebook uh-huh. and that's left uh, Laura O'Connell with 26,000 euros wow. which she hasn't been able to pay well, Where Were so she
1: and up. Jonathan O'Brien and um, known to each other? Did they both know that this was happening simultaneously by the same that, person?
2: Uh, I think it became clear at some stage, but I'm not sure when that that, that emerged, because uh, Laura O'Connell wasn't a member of Sinn and she just was involved in this environmental group on the north side, uh, concerned about an environmental issue. She said in her victim impact statement, four years later now, I'm but a shadow of myself. As a lone parent with an underlying illness, I have built up resilience, to difficulties and obstacles. However, these four last years, have been an ordeal that no resilience or strength could possibly overcome. At 43 years of age, I thought this was desperately sad, I'm a broken woman and on my knees because of Sonny Egan. She's put an end to all my voluntary work in the local community and further feel she turns up everywhere. She's put an end to my ongoing learnings. She's putting an end to nights. She's putting an end to me feeling safe, general safety and peace of mind. There's not a day or an hour goes by that four years trauma haunts her. And yet, she said, uh, there are still ongoing and current traumas by Son Egan as she continues to watch, beset and follow me. We heard from. Uh, the defence for Sonia Egan, uh, barrister, uh, Anthony Salmon, presented a, a report from a forensic psychologist in which she said she'd been sexually abused as a child. But Gardee Sergeant she said he didn't accept that. He didn't fo- accept the findings of that. What we did hear as well then was that she wrote a letter of apology. Uh, in which uh, she said that uh, she deeply regretted her actions and that she didn't actually realise the impact they were having until it was too late and gone out of control. Upon reflection, I'm incredibly sorry for my behaviour. In no way does any my, does any of my past experience justify my offending. I did not realise the extent of my behaviour until it got out of control. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm truly sorry. I wish the complainants the best of luck. May God be with them and their families. As I say, the case was that evidence was heard last month but it was adjourned to yesterday for sentence and Judge Helen Boyle then delivered her uh, decision Mr Salmon asked her to put it back for a period perhaps but she Mm. uh, said no it was too serious the abuse was or the harassment was too serious too sustained and too extreme and she felt she had to deal with it by way of a custodial sentence sure
1: now Egan had no relevant previous convictions uh, she had
2: no relevant previous convictions no that's true and the report by uh, the forensic psychologist Dr Randall also found that she was at low risk of reoffending. but notwithstanding that and again Judge Boyle said you know another mitigating factor was the fact that she pleaded guilty albeit late in the day but it did um, save her victims the trauma of having to give evidence and testify in a court case and for that reason that was a mitigating factor, to, which was to her credit. The maximum sentence, I should say, in cases like this is seven years. She said the headline sentence should be three and a half, but because of the guilty plea, she'd bring it down to three. And then she said, "Mitigating factors, she would suspend the final year of it. So effectively, she's got to serve two years in jail with good on good behaviour, provided she uh, keeps the peace and be a good behaviour. But she also made it a condition of the sentencing that she would have no contact or given undertaking that she would have no contact directly or indirectly via social media, or otherwise, or post social media about Jonathan O'Brien or Laura O'Connell for a period of seven years and also that she wouldn't travel or um, be within uh, 50 yards of them at any time. So there are the conditions attached, but she started, as I say, yesterday, she began a, a two-year
1: prison sentence for the harassment case. case. Mm-hmm. So, so what began as possibly... Um you know, cowardly, insipid texts that were i suppose thought to that would remain private were all actually gathered as they are in any case uh, as evidence against uh so- someone who's per- perpetrating these things uh, and of course, the electronic database is holding everything that was that was published or or that was sent privately and and then when it comes to a court case, everything is public now it 's all over the papers now it 's in the broadcast and social media now it's everywhere and and the very real. Uh, fact of a two-year onerous prison sentence is now upon her.
2: Yes, and I suppose I mean what I, really? I suppose in terms of, as I said, the victim impact statement from uh, Laura O'Connell was extraordinary, powerful for a woman to sort of admit she was on her knees because of this, and, and a broken woman was heartrending to hear that and hear deliver that uh, victim impact statement herself. But I suppose the other one, thing that sort of jumps out at you is just the number of texts that Jonathan O'Brien got. You know, mm.
1: uh, no, not not questioning the you know the the obvious discretion of the court, but. With such a strong vic- victim impact statement, is that negated then by the guilty plea? Well, the guilty
2: plea obviously meant the victims were spared the trauma of a trial. Yes, so
1: and that's uh, and that's why it's uh, reduced time.
2: Uh, well, yes, it may, well, that would have be been provided if, if it had gone to trial and she had been convicted. Yes, uh, we, we we I mean, you know, you generally uh, accuse people get credit for pleading guilty, as it were, so that's taken into account in the sentence. But, you know, a two-year sentence is still substantial. Uh, but as I say, the figures that jump out in terms of those uh, 5,500 and uh, in a six-month period, I mean, that's extraordinary. There, those numbers are just, you know, uh, what's the phrase, off the, off, the,
1: <laughs> off the scale? Off the scale. Uh, and, and, and possibly happening day and night. Now, there's another story that's just broken, Barry, I hope you have time, on Ballyfahan woman Nora, Nora Sheehan, whose body was discovered in West Cork after disappearing in 1981.
2: Yes, uh, there's a man, who you understand, due to appear in court in Skibbereen this morning. In connection with that. It's a 41-year-old murder investigation. I know the serious crime review, Garda serious crime review, the cold case team, have been looking at this, and obviously uh, they've uh, made progress to the point that they've sent the file to the DPP who's decided they're charged to answer. So there's a... She was last seen alive, I should say, outside the South Infirmary Hospital in Cork uh, on the 6th of June, 1981. So it's almost... Uh, just well, that's over forty, 40 years. years. Forty-one years ago, so it's um, certainly in terms of cases that I've covered. I think it's um, it's the uh, the the longest uh, investigation that I'm familiar with. I'm just looking here. Poor her, woman was born twenty seventh of March, nineteen twenty seven. So uh, eighty-one would, have, would she been forty-four?
1: Yeah, around that. Around, uh, but she was last seen alive June 6th outside the South Infirmary Hospital Sorry. in Cork City. And a man was charged with her murder in the weeks after the discovery of the body. However, a nulliprosity was uh, entered by the state in the case after the death of the pathologist who carried out the post-mortem. So I guess it must be advances in, in DNA and that sort of science that is bringing this new focus
2: Perhaps, uh, as I say, we'll learn, uh, we learn more uh, perhaps this morning, but uh, as I say, somebody appearing there at half ten, so uh, I'll, uh, I'll, okay. I'll take my leave if you make, and uh, make my way as it were
1: down, down west. A busy day of the courts. It's a tough job, Barry, but you do it so well. Thank you very much All once good. again. Take care. Thanks, take care. bye-bye. Bye. That's Barry Roach, uh, Southern correspondent with the Irish Times. And let's get back to finishing our look at the morning papers uh, because there are some big stories still to get to. Cork is ready to blast off. With the rocket man. No, it's not the salad shop, uh, that lovely chain that was going uh, in uh, one of the Princess Street, was it? Uh, this is Wintrop Street. That's right. Uh, Jack Crotty's place. What a great place. Uh, Jack's gone on to uh, bigger and better things now, of course, uh, with his uh, local produce enterprise uh, which is neighbour food, and every success to him. Uh, more than 30,000 Elton John fans due to descend for the Parky Kiev event on Friday for what will likely be the pop superstar's last ever outdoor appearance in Ireland. More than 30,000. Um, shouldn't it be more than 50 or 60,000 in a place that size? Um, Aiken Promotions event coordinator Jim Clark said he had no doubt it would be a superb concert from the Rocketman, who has a repertoire dating back to the 1960s. He said the gig was expected to deliver a significant ripple effect boost to Cork's economy as concert goers flood into the city this weekend. Over 30,000 tickets have been sold, were told, for the Lee gig. Over half of them have been bought by Cork fans. However, concert goers from all over the world will flock to Parky Kiev. Uh, tickets sold to Elton fans apparently isn't a great technology these days. From Dubai, Estonia, France, Great Britain, Germany, Israel, Latvia, Mexico, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Portugal, Romania, Russia, Singapore, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, Taiwan and the US. So people are coming in from all sides. Actually, uh, as part of a little bit of research into an article yesterday uh, that we did on the programme, I spoke to somebody who works in the scanning of tickets business uh, and who regularly attends concerts and uses the... Uh, the scanning machine to verify ticket entry. We had a, a young lady refused entry into the Lewis Capaldi gig yesterday and a bit of an explanation I sought uh, and did certainly get. Uh, what happens in some cases, and you will have heard uh, Aiken Promotions yesterday saying only buy your tickets for Elton John from Ticketmaster. What happens if you buy them from secondary agents, you buy them on Snapchat or you buy them uh, and get the picture of the, of the barcode on the ticket sent to you all that person has to do to stop you getting in is to turn up first themselves because they have got a valid ticket. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened in the case of uh, the young lady yesterday because it did seem to be a very, very genuine case. But take it from the ticket scanner's perspective. uh, If they're scanning machines, and it's the same as scanning going through uh, to a flight in an airport. It is so detailed these days. Uh, If the ticket comes up as already in the venue, what do they expect them to do? Uh, so I'm not saying 100% it happened in this case, uh, but lenience can only be given. They'll probably send you then to the Ticketmaster office. Uh, you can show your ticket there, and they can, uh, they'll know exactly by scanning it when it was bought, who it was sold to, who that person is, and whether that ticket was used to access the ground on the evening. So all someone really has to do if they want to catch you is to sell you their ticket online, turn up before you, And you're not getting in, even though you've paid for the ticket. And if you don't know them, then you've no recourse. And I'm not saying that, once again, applies to what uh, the conversation we had yesterday. Uh, But just a look at it from the poor beleaguered ticket scanners' side, in that they have a job to do, and they're not about to let in uh, the same ticket twice, three times, four times over. Uh, The troubled son of celebrity chef Rachel Allen was back behind bars last night after a judge advised she needed time to read reports. Joshua Allen appeared at Cork Circuit Criminal Court, to appeal a sentence of two months for possession of cocaine in July 2020, six weeks before that he'd been released from Cork prison after serving half of a 30-month sentence for dealing cannabis, but because of reoffending he may have to serve the second half of that sentence. And yesterday the court heard that his grandmother, Dorina Allen of internationally acclaimed Ballymaloe House and Cookery School, had written a letter in defence of her 22-year-old uh, grandson, I suppose, uh, saying uh, he had made mistakes. She said he was uh, changing his ways uh, and that in late 2020 he had discovered boxing and mixed martial arts and is turning over a new leaf. That's in the sun today. The Independent has abusers face 10 years in jail under a 360 million euro domestic violence strategy. Uh, This has been widely welcomed. Uh, Criminal penalties for domestic abusers will double to 10 years in prison and double the number of refuge spaces will be created under a 360 million euro plan to try to end domestic, sexual and gender-based violence. Justice Minister Helen McIntyre will today bring the third national strategy on domestic, sexual and gender-based violence to Cabinet. It's expected the strategy which vows to have zero tolerance for violence against women and domestic abuse will be published later on today. And a couple more and uh, we'll get down to the business of the program. Food allergies are costing 1600 euro. Connor Pope is writing in the Irish Times that adults with allergies are likely to spend over 1600 more each year than those with no allergies according to research from the state's Food Safety Watchdog. It's estimated the financial burden for a child is €1,439, Euros rising to 1602 for an adult. Medical costs, costs associated with food, and costs of missed days of work, school and college all contributed to the significantly higher cost of living. Uh, the HSE chief was not forced out. Uh, Paul Reid making most of the morning papers. Uh, HSE boss Paul Reid was mulling over resigning. Position position for some time and was firm with Health Minister Stephen Donnelly with his decision. Senior sources have said Mr Reid's decision to step away in December was solely due to wanting to spend time with his family. But yet again, another high-profile health area uh, senior executive stepping down. One in ten have tried to take their own life, as a stark headline on page eight of The Sun today. Almost half of all Irish adults have a mental health disorder and 1 in 10 have attempted suicide. These stark figures were revealed in a new study by academics from three top universities, Maynooth University, National College of Ireland, and Trinity College, Dublin, uh, and and the report's based on a nationally representative sample of 1,100 adults, and is the first of its kind here. And finally, health warning over illegal tanning drug. Be careful out there. The online Barbie treatment can result in death Uh, a major health warning has been issued about an illegal tanning product uh, that users inhale or inject would you be well risking a life-threatening anaphylactic shock the uh, controversial self-tan is not authorised in Ireland but the Health Products Regulatory Authority have said many people here have suffered serious side effects these include moles, vision loss, stroke, muscle tremors and anaphylaxis which can lead to anaphylactic shock if untreated by a doctor. Uh, Melanotin 2 has been dubbed the Barbie drug, Uh, not to be confused, I imagine, with melatonin, which is a a natural supplement uh, that helps sleep and indeed is produced by the body. This is melanotin 2 and has been dubbed the Barbie drug and is supposed to give users the same skin tone as the toy doll. What do you mean, plastic? The HPRA's Director of Compliance, Grania Power, warned Melanotin 2 is a real risk to health. We urge people to consider the fact there is no supporting safety data available for this substance before they inject it into their body or inhale it into their lungs to get a tan. Uh, We're seeing the growth of course of marketing and promotion uh, of these type of things very much akin to the uh, marketing and promotion of cosmetic products and uh, spray tan is a big big business right now with the uh, kind of demise of the tanning shops and the the uh, the tanning light beds, uh, but put simply, tanning injections or nasal sprays to replicate an aspirational body image
0: is just foolish. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM.
1: And a very good morning from The Neil Prenderville Show now. Nadeem Hussein went on hunger strike to stay in this country last year as he was due to be deported. He was eventually given permission to leave and uh, was deregistered. He is now on the housing list for six months and said he's under pressure to leave the Kinsale Road Direct Provision Centre. Good morning, Nadeem. Good morning, sir. Now, uh, I know English isn't your first language. It's coming on very strong. I know you spoke yeah. you you spoke on this program before. Uh, but tell us your situation. You went on hunger strike. Uh, you're now deregistered, and you've been on the housing list for six months.
3: Yeah, well, after that sometime, when I got the status, I had to go for my GNIV. And in GNIV, you know, on December, everything was closed. So I was going to the Canada station for the registration. And after some time, I will be called by the appointment by the CADA and then I got my GNIB. When I got my GNIB, in the same situation, I straight away go to the City Council for registering if I am eligible or not. And after some time, I was registered in social housing, one bedroom property. I have sent you that uh, letter also.
1: Okay. Uh, what's the initial reason you arrived here seeking asylum?
3: asylum because every because my father and mother was killed my father and mother was killed by BGP government in 27 march 2018 i came on island then i go for my asylum
1: okay uh, i
3: was and- a political connected by cpim and there is everybody knows in there if you will see any Facebook, anything from Modi government, you can see over there what is the situation of here. Mm-hmm. In UP, they have killed, till now, so many Muslims.
1: Okay, I'm sorry to hear about, about your parents. Uh, and and coming back to your own quest, um, you you've, you've felt strongly enough to go on hunger strike about it. Uh, you've had some very high-level political operatives um, advocating for you. You've had correspondence yes. from the Department of the Taoiseach. Uh, yeah. You've also had uh, other political representation. Mick Barry raised your story in the Doyle and urged James Brown, the Minister for State for Law Reform, Youth Justice and Immigration, Paul
3: Murphy to also. take action. Even Paul Murphy also helped me. Paul Murphy. Thomas Gold also helped me.
1: Yeah. Okay. What exactly are you looking for? Because I know there's going to be people saying we can't house our own homeless. Without, no. without housing the asylum I'm seekers. Not, and that is a, not, that's a natural not saying, thing. To,
3: yeah. yeah, it's a natural thing. I also know that there is an issue on housing because the most of the, even Irish people also, I can understand, who are homeless. But my question is only one thing, why this is happening? This is from the government. Why this is happening? Why are people are going homeless?
1: Why? Yeah, it's it's endemic in this society for the last 10 years it has been in my opinion conveniently brushed under the carpet by brexit now issues and covid came. issues and now, yeah. uh, inflation
3: and now the inflation issues i came you have said se- i have sent you the letter after some time he called me he said yeah nadine you got a status you have to go move out you look house so my question is another if the president of ireland is saying that housing is not a crisis it's a disaster. Am I right?
1: Yes, you would be right. But d-
3: This is said by the president of islands so from where I will get housed now.
1: Uh, Nadim, are you able to work in this community? Do you have that clearance? What, sir? Are you able to work? I believe you, you did work through the pandemic, did you?
3: Yeah, I'm working. I'm working as a security. Okay. In Mahan Point shopping centre in G 4s I I'm working. And you I'm ha- working. do you have
1: any dependents? No. Okay. Uh that would probably not make you a priority on the housing list. You're 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 also uh you're staying very close to two other refugees. We have one of them here on the line right now we'll talk yes. to to the other one as well. One is Assad. Hi Assad. Yes, uh this is me
4: speaking. Hi, yeah you're you? from
1: Pakistan. You're here for seven years. Uh yeah I am yes and what's your story? I believe you met somebody in direct provision, did you? Did you fall in love or something?
4: <clears throat> like, I think uh, we are talking about some different issues. That I would love to describe on that as well. Um, the issue is, if you want me to talk on the housing issue, can I say something? Sure. Yeah. Uh, actually, the issue is that uh, um, at the moment, there are no houses out there. The houses which are available on rent are very expensive, like rents are very high. And uh, at this minute, if uh, we are eligible for social housing and HAP. Uh, we have been approved for HAP as well. But uh, with the HAP, even with the HAP, the rents are very high. Yeah, you so you're on the housing
1: list and you qualify for HAP, but uh, you obviously yeah. can't afford the very high prices.
4: Uh, yeah, and uh, basically, if uh, if we will look around, there are no houses available on rent. Basically, houses are not available out there. <laughs> and at this point of crisis, when everyone is saying there there are no houses outside, and um, the, the official from IPAS he came down to Kinsel Accommodation Center and he threatened many of us of eviction verbally. Like uh, they didn't give us any kind of written notice, but uh, like they came down and verbally threatened many of us of eviction and they are bringing their new people um, and putting them six people in one room. Mm -hmm. Uh, And right now, like, uh, they have brought, I think, six or 12 people from uh, some other place and they are living in two rooms and uh, in each room there are six people and they have, like, uh, put the mattresses on the floor and uh, they are sleeping on the floor. So at the minute, just to avoid the tag that they are not homeless, they, uh, they have given them six bed spaces in one room and we are already living in this accommodation centre, two persons in one room.
1: Okay. So at L- N- Nadeem, of- Nadeem said in, in, in a previous uh, text that the centre is at breaking point, many people are sleeping on the dining room floor. That's correct, is it?
4: Yeah, they uh, at the minute they are planning to bring some people in social room. Like we have heard that uh, the social room where we gather and we talk to each other, like that is one social room we have. Uh, we have heard that they are planning to bring people over there in that social room. They are gonna utilize the social room as a uh, as housing the those inmates, like those people who are um, they like who they are bringing new. So this is gonna happen, but they have already utilized two. So offices um, for like this this purpose. They they have put the batteries, They have removed the chairs from those offices. There are two rooms and there are already people in there. So this is already happening. And, so um, so the pressure is
1: on you guys from the authorities to move out. And and they're yeah. they're probably ticking the box and saying, well, these guys are on the housing list and they qualify for HAP. So out you go.
4: Yeah, well, uh, the issue is that there are no houses available. Um, the rents are very, very high, and basically, very few houses are available for rent. And if we go on rent, for example, uh, if I go for a house which is very expensive and I'm paying very high rent, and I, I'm uh, then I'm told by my owner, L- L- landlord, that you should be moved out or you should leave the house within a year or two. Then uh, there would be no house available outside because we. You're already uh, uh, facing the shortage of houses. So I would be a homeless within one or two years again. So uh, at this point of time, it was not appropriate for IPAS to come down here and threaten us of eviction. And one other thing he has said, we would move you into another less equipped, less facilitated accommodation. <clears throat> I don't know what that means, but um, uh, they definitely said this to me like um, I asked him uh, if I like if I'm unable to find a house what would you do and they said like we would move you into less facilitated accommodation I'm already living in uh, a room where we are sharing a room like we are two people in one room and I'm sharing that room with the other person and my whole stuff is in
1: that room Yes, okay. Yeah, I said, my- I, I'm, I'm not in any way trying to uh, contest or, or put any questions about your, your right to be here or indeed uh, that you don't deserve the biggest of Irish welcomes. But we're getting a number of texts, which, is, which is going to be natural considering the topic, saying that the reason why there's a housing crisis here is because of the numbers of foreigners in our country taking mm-hmm. Irish homes. Now, that was an argument that was put forth in Britain uh, and and still doesn't resonate too well. Uh I, I think it was a factor in the Brexit issue uh and I think the uh, the number of foreigners in Britain they now realize they needed to do the menial jobs the Brits won't do. Um so they're not seeing any positives there. But would you agree there are an awful there's a, there there is an inordinate amount of pressure on our housing system, not just by the very deserved Irish citizens that need accommodation, but by the amount of asylum seekers and foreigners essentially here as well.
4: Uh, I agree with you uh, to certain extent but I would just want to add something here uh, there was a new I- news item in breakingnews.ie about Dr. Lorkan I think he's a housing policy analyst so he said basically that uh, it, it was yesterday or day before yesterday it was published so he said that there are 166,000 houses available they are vacant and they are not being maintained by the housing council so basically that is a problem if uh, there are many homeless people outside, why the government is not looking into that number, which is mentioned by Dr. Lorcan. So uh, you should look into that number. Sure. That is a huge number, 166,000 houses, which are vacant and not being maintained by the housing authority, And um, uh, they are basically just uh, trying to avoid the tag of uh, making these people homeless who they are putting uh, six in one room. So they are just evi- avoiding the tag of making them homeless. Okay. They are not homeless, but they have one bed space. They are sharing six, uh, like, with five other people. Technically, you're
1: so not homeless, but uh, technically, you're not living in technically, habitable Technically, yeah.
4: Technically, Nad- they are not responsible for housing them because they are not ho- homeless, technically.
1: Yeah, Na- so Nadeem, I'm going to talk to Akram uh, in a second as well. Uh, yeah. Nadine, if, if you guys are on the housing list, would, would you facilitate... Um, living together in one house, if 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 that became available to you.
3: Um, yeah. Like, yeah.
1: Let's let Nadim answer here. Hello. Yes, Nadim.
3: Yeah, what do you said, sir? Huh?
1: Would you live with your two friends, Asad and Akram, in one house, or are you all looking yeah. for separate houses?
3: No, no, no. We are not looking any separate house or any like this. We need only shelter, shelter and roof. What?
1: Okay. Uh, I, I want to bring in, uh, thanks Nadeem, I want to bring in Akram here because I don't have a, a hell of a lot of time left. Akram, good morning. Good morning. Okay, uh, I needed yes, to go away from good. Akram, yeah, Nadeem is on good speaker right there and wasn't, wasn't very yeah. wasn't very clear. Akram, tell us your story, you're from Pakistan, yeah?
5: Yes, yes, yes.
1: And you were in Dublin first before you came to Cork.
5: Yeah, I was in Balthuskin before, I was there for about four months, and uh, oh. then I got transferred here in uh, Kinsale. And I didn't hear everything. Are you on
1: speakerphone there, Akram?
5: No, no, I'm not.
1: Yeah, it's very hard to hear you. Okay. Okay, let let me, if you're in the same room, let me just fix this fader here. Okay, try it now, Akram. Hello. Yeah, Yeah. it's better. Okay. Okay. Okay, so you've um, been in the Kinsale. You came here three and a half years ago from Islamabad, and you're here ever since in the Kinsale Road Accommodation Centre. Yeah. Now, back home isn't livable. Of course, the living conditions are difficult there. There's a different party in power than the one that yeah. was uh, led by Imran Khan, who was ousted in April. Now, there's a serious political unrest there. Um, but yeah. I think I think you're about to concer- uh, to contend that the Kinsale Road Accommodation Centre isn't livable either.
5: Yes. Yes. I mean, it's, uh, the very the oppression. they're not giving us any written warnings, but verbal warnings are, you know, they come in and, you know, threatening us to, you know, move out and, you know, trying to find a place. Okay. And if you go outside and, uh, you can't find a place, you know, yeah. no locally anywhere, no in the city and around city 25 kilometers, you know? So if you don't have a motor, if you don't have a, you know, means to come, then it's just another problem, you know? So that's, yes. Okay. These kinds these kind of things. So the, the people you know?
1: issuing the verbal warnings, I'm sure, are fully knowledgeable that you haven't a hope in hell of finding somewhere once you, once yes. you go out. I
5: mean, it's outside, I mean, mostly, I'm not going to um, mention any name, but mostly I mean, other people come in, in thousands, and they are getting houses, is, uh, no house left, you know, to so even look for, even pay extra, extra rent for it, oh, you know, we all can chip in and pay, pay extra rent for the place, but we can't find the place, you know, so... Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you you and many, many other Irish people, it's all, it's a huge contest. Yes, yes it's, a, it's, a, it's
5: a huge problem, you know, mostly, I, even the, even the Irish homeless people, you know, I mean, if they accommodate their own people, they can't accommodate their own people, how are they going to accommodate us, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a catch from 22, you know. So,
1: do do you realise and appreciate that you're in such a heavy contest for housing uh, with members of the Irish homeless, uh, with members of the yes. Irish population? Uh, yes. And that they may feel a certain sense of entitlement to get the whatever little bits well, of, of crumbs course, are on the table course, before Irish you guys.
5: First, you know before, before we can get it, you know. But, but they can't. Uh, so out, there, out there is a new house, you know. So how are they going to give me or uh, the Irish person when there is no house,
1: you know? Okay. Uh, notwithstanding, you, you, I, I know you probably came from the political unrest <laughs> in Islamabad and Pakistan in general, but how did you end up in Ireland, of all places? Uh, why here?
5: well i i had a i didn't want to claim asylum before here I, when I came here, I had a heart attack and uh, after having a heart attack, i uh, ended up doing a uh, uh, claiming asylum you know so
1: okay, and have you found work here? Are you entitled to work? yes yes
5: uh, i ha- I have been entitled to work here and i have been working you no know, okay. So.
1: I'm going to get a wrap-up from each of you in a moment. It must take a commercial break. Will you, will you hang on the line with me there from the Kinsale yeah, Road no. Accommodation no, Centre? No. Thanks, gentlemen.
0: Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106. Red FM.
1: And you're very welcome back to the Neil Prenderville Show, coming up on 8 minutes to 10. And I want to wrap up with some final comments from uh, Akram and Assad and uh, Nadeem. Akram, are you still there? Yeah. yeah. What, what What's your plea to the Irish government? It's It's not just for a house for yourselves. It's fix the enormity of the homeless problem, so you might have a chance. Is it?
5: Yes. Yes. I mean, as my friend mentioned earlier on, there is 166 thousand houses available to be get fixed. Why don't they fix that problem, and then everybody can have a house? You know.
1: Okay. Uh, may, maybe the person getting the house could be involved in the fixing up. That would be even cheaper and, yeah. and give a lot of incentive, wouldn't it?
5: Yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah.
1: All right, Akram. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, let's, thank you. Let's go to uh, Nadim again, who's on line two. Hi, Nadim. Hi, sir. What's your plea to the Irish government?
3: I have two pleas, sir. One, please stop this threatening from IPAS.
1: Line is very bad. Can you repeat that?
3: I'm saying, please don't threaten us. I pass. It's a request to the I pass. Please don't threaten us.
1: Please. Okay. Where do you go from here, do you think?
3: So, we are trying. I am trying my best to do something, to go outside. I'm trying my best. Okay. I'm pleading to the government also, please look to everyone, not to me only to the Irish people, to the other homeless, and to us also, equally, oh. please.
1: Okay, outside of your uh, failure to find suitable accommodation, let me put it that way, has Ireland yeah. itself been generally welcoming to you? What so? Has Ireland been welcoming to you?
3: Yes, Well, how? without a welcome, I have a status, without a welcome, how I am in here. Mm-hmm.
1: And you're thankful you welcome- for that?
3: I'm very thankful for that. Very thankful. Even see, after at last I said I can do anything for this country. This country give me food. This country give me medicine. This country give me a life. If any in my whole life, if I can do anything for this country, that will be a pride for me. This is my country and Cork is my family because they support me.
1: Okay. Uh, and you I'm had to go on a hunger I'm strike, uh, and, that, and that was last year, of course, in hopes of being yep. granted permission to stay. Now you're here. Uh, you're on the housing list. You won't be able to get to happen. You won't be. You don't have the affordability, even if you can find a house. Uh, now, Dean, I want to wish you the best, and, uh, and get a final comment from Assad as well. Uh, morning again, Assad. What, what, what's your plea? Um,
4: My plea would be to, like, uh, stop this threatening attitude, like, uh, don't threaten us because we are in the same boat with all other Irish people who are trying to find a house. And uh, if the government can uh, resolve the issue of housing crisis... uh, so they can resolve it in many ways by like uh, telling the banks to give good mortgage amounts so people can buy houses uh, so make it easier for people to buy houses on mortgage and uh, the empty houses should be utilized the empty houses are out there they are not being maintained by the uh, city council and you know there is a big strong uh, uh, group behind it like they they are not willing to do something about the housing crisis so uh, they should like look into the matter and like, like, uh I try to be lenient about this. All right. If they cannot resolve the housing crisis, then they should not come here and threaten everyone of us. Yeah. They should not, like, put six people in one room and say that they're not homeless. Like, this is a joke.
1: It's massaging the numbers, massaging the figures, I think. Akram, yeah. Nadeem and Asad, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, and Now, you with very uh, with very little time left, we may have to uh, come back to this after uh, 10 o'clock. Catherine's in line four. Hi, Catherine.
6: Hi, good morning. I'm just listening to your uh, three guests there, and my theory is quite simple. I do not believe that there is a homeless crisis, a housing crisis. What I do believe is that there are too many foreigners coming into this country, and therefore that that has created Not only a housing crisis, but it has also created, as we can see, the hospital um, uh, devastation that's occurring at the moment. I would refer you to one girl that was on the Neil Prendival show quite recently. Her name was Michelle, and she was living in her car.
1: I I remember, I was talking to her.
6: Oh, yes. Well, you know, I mean... You know she she didn't complain, she seemed to get on with her life, mm. but I mean, you know we just i don't believe, I don't believe we have a housing crisis. we have too many foreigners what, what would you what would you
1: deem a foreigner? How would you define uh, a foreigner? Well,
6: there are three guests there, just for example
1: But they're, they're, they're asylum seekers they're entitled to asylum, and they're sleeping six to a room.
6: Yeah, you know you can argue all you like with me, and you know fair dues if you can. But I just believe what we have to do, and it's, I'm, I'm sort of fed up, you know, with this sentence. As I'm sure many of your you are Irish, it's it's, it's an island. We are not a continent. We cannot look after the whole world.
1: Okay. Uh, I, I, and
6: that goes for our medical system. Do you know that the s- children with scoliosis, with all these um, uh, horrible, um,
3: you know, autism? Catherine, can I ask you to hold? Can I ask to death, you to hold till, the to hold till
1: after the ten o'clock news? I'm not trying to cut you off. I'd like to speak to you again just after news at ten, if that's possible. Yeah. Sure. I okay, can. thanks very much. News at 10 is
0: next. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM.
1: And uh, thanks for holding, Catherine, and welcome back. You're welcome. Now we well, have mo- more time to talk to you. And I'm not going to get uh, arguing with you at all. But let's ju- just tease out uh, all of your issues. You're saying the reason we have a housing crisis is because we have too many foreigners in our country.
6: Yes, absolutely, and you know, the, the, there's no point in sort of, sort of saying, um, "Oh gosh," you know. I, I do not apologise for what I'm saying simply because it's a fact. You know, I'll give you an example. We have a cocaine crisis. We have a medical crisis with all the, you know, the the, the children. I I know that the parents of these children um, have been out there protesting and all the rest of it. Um, You know, I heard one one example. All of them sort of touched my heart. But this child who had a dislocated shoulder, I think, for, for 13 years, and it couldn't be fixed. And then we have sort of, Children who have uh, teeth problems, they have to go to Poland. I mean, what sort of a country have we become? I don't recognize Ireland as I did. You know, I'm not a. That
1: says more applicant. about this country than it does about those arriving here. That well,
6: was your surely, calling for owners. Surely, we should, um, you know, look after, and, you know, there again, it's a saying that's quite boring, but, I mean, it, 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 we have to look after, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, if a child has been in foster care, say, for, you know, I think it's a 16 or 18 years, and they're sort of, you know, they're adults and they're put out on the street, why are they put out on the street, and, yes, we, we, we home... uh, People that are coming into this
1: country. Okay, I have a a derogatory text here from your standpoint, all right? Uh, It's it's calling you a racist. Yeah? Well, I read it out to you. Yeah. There's another possibly more offending term in there uh, that we'll get to in the course of the text, but let's see how you respond to that, okay? Uh, right. And here it starts. And how many Irish people move abroad? Every person knows someone who lives or lived abroad. London, America, Canada, Dubai, etc. Imagine them being treated like these foreigners are here, especially by that old lady who is a racist. <laughs> Told oh, you. Uh, here's the rest of it. The problem isn't the yes. foreigners, the problem is our government. A lot of foreigners oh, do well, a lot... Oh, yes, I agree there. I'm, I'm, j- I'm just finishing the text. A lot of foreigners do a lot more and give a lot more back uh, than some Irish, and this is coming from an Irish person, they say. If every country yes. only looked after its own, Irish people wouldn't have had a chance in the past.
6: Well, I can tell you one thing. When they went to America and when they went to all over the country, they certainly didn't get free at- accommodation, free food, free this, that and the other. When they went there they worked and my parents um, were from Waterford, they went to England, yes it is true, but they worked in in quite menial jobs, if you like until they sort of they didn't get anything free, if you like and uh, with regard to there was another point there that you said as I say, I'm I'm um, uh, you, you know, they you say know, the war in Ukraine and the this, that, and the other, but, you know, there are people who are having this, you know, this cocaine addicts out on the streets of Cork, Dublin, Limerick, wherever you want to call it, villages and towns, etc. But
1: well, They're, they're not foreigners for the most part. No,
6: no, but that's my point. I think that, I mean, yes, it's dreadful to be um, a, a drug addicts, but surely you know, there, there is an They have their own war, if you like, these drug addicts, and perhaps we should try and help them. Whereas, you know, and and, and that's my point. I want to help people who are Irish and um, are not living the life that I lived in, you know, an old woman that I am. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> I lived I lived my my job was um a solicitor in Dublin and then when um you know I sort of came down to live um uh, in, in um, Cork uh, because I couldn't get the job I wanted, and this is the same to your uh, question, um, this person who said I was an old lady, um, I worked in a fish factory, I worked also uh, sort of cleaning um, bedrooms is, is, that
1: abroad, of is that here or abroad, Catherine? Is that here or abroad?
6: I beg your pardon?
1: Was that here or abroad?
6: Oh, here, you know, because when I couldn't get the job you know, I worked in um, Dublin, in the, in the, you know, with the likes of Peter Sutherland, Liam Hamilton, all the rest of it. And that was my job. But when I was down here, it was not possible for me to get a job that I was trained in. So I worked in a fish factory. So, I mean, I don't believe this thing about um, uh, you know, that the Irish won't do the the menial jobs. I mean, uh, you know, I did. I did. I had no problem.
1: And a text says, you are claiming uh, yeah that all of this is down to many foreign nationals, but you're forgetting that these foreign nationals are also doctors and nurses, teachers, and that uh, we need foreign nationals, this texture says. uh, The housing crisis is a government issue. It's not caused by foreigners. It's caused by planning issues, by regulations, by property tax, and by punitive income tax. But, you know,
6: I just refer to the census and that uh, uh, I think it's um, now um 5 point something million people living in this country I don't know if that's supposed to be a compliment or what but um, uh, uh, we can't seem to just house um, uh, people who are living in this country so I think that's a lost cause I don't think that's anything to be proud of to have this um, you know sort of going up in population when we certainly can't own them but having said that of course when Neil um, Martin was in um, um, and St. Patrick's Day and then and, 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 uh, with Biden uh, you know Biden will sort of say like how brilliant the Irish are you know taking in all the Ukrainians and this that and the other you know But well, Ironically like, Mihal Martin do we, do wasn't with all?
1: he wasn't with oh, Joe sorry? Biden uh, Ironically Mihal Martin wasn't with Joe Biden on St. Patrick's Day that, because in a that, cruel right. twist of fate he contracted Covid and couldn't go to the White House um, How sad uh, let me let me tell you, and this is a stark and very sad fact: that a total of nine thousand and ninety-nine people were staying in emergency accommodation in this country during the week of November twenty-second to twenty-eighth last year. That included a whopping two thousand five hundred and forty-eight children, and that is, is according to the latest figures from the Department of Housing.
6: Oh, well, that's stressful. I mean, it, it, you know, to 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 start your life off as uh, as a young child. Um, living in, in this sort of um, accommodation. I I will say one thing. When I was um, working in Dublin, um, I, I, it's, a, it's a very short story, but um, on Saturday night, you know, the, the, you get the Sunday newspaper, and I remember this little boy. He was only about 10, and he used to be out, hail, rain, or snow, like, um, selling these newspapers, you know, for the Sunday and um, rather tatty clothes and all the rest of it and I got quite friendly with him and um, I said to him like you know what do you want for Christmas and all that, he's really a, really, you know, a, a kid and they're selling newspapers out in the, in the night and um, he lived he, he told me he was football and um, I said to him well where do you live and he told me I remember his exact address It was uh, I can tell you the number uh, and um, Summer Hill, that's in um, I, North Inner City, mm. Dublin and I wasn't really familiar with that place so I sort of said to my husband, where, well, my fiancé at the time, where is that? And he said to me, that is a no-go area you don't go there and I said well I'm going and um, yes it was a dreadful place and um, you know I was going up the stairs and there was all these kids on the landing and they were saying, you know uh, and I said to them, excuse me there, lads, I want to see John. So I went up to John, I gave him his um, football and all the rest of it. But, I mean, the conditions, I, th- I guess you would say there were tenement houses, but these were Irish people living in tenement houses. And that struck me as just, and I was working at 10 years of age. So is that what we want for the Irish?
1: No, it, it, so. no, 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 no it's not. But once again, you, you, you are patently blaming... Uh, foreign nationals arriving here for uh, a situation that's not really of their making. They need the housing as much as the homeless do, because they're all but homeless. They're six to a room and ten to a room in these direct provision centres.
6: Well, do you not think that we should home the, 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 the Irish person? And another thing, I'm not, you know, this um, all uh, uh, what I do believe, and this is um, is in many countries in Europe, that I mean, you're on the dole, say for or whatever you call it, for six months or nine months, but then you're gradually cut off. Whereas in this country, we uh, you can stay on the door from, I don't know, the minutes um, uh, w- when you go to work, when you start working, you can be on the door for all of your life. Now, well, uh, no, 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 not applicable in any other well, country. Well, you're going
1: to need stamps paid as well. You, you know, you're going if, to, if, if you wanted to get Job Seekers Allowance now, you're going to have to have enough stamps paid back in uh, 2020. Anyway, I've got to leave it there, Catherine. I think you've had more than enough time to get your point across, and I know there are many who will disagree with it, and possibly one is in, uh, included here, is Arthur. Good morning, Arthur. Thanks, Catherine. Hi, Arthur. Hi, good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. You're taking offence? Uh, yeah, I took a lot of offence. Uh, like, I just want to say, how
7: dare she even utter such words out of her mouth? That is the most offensive thing I've probably heard on the station in a long time, and just to blatant blaming of foreigners for all the problems this country is receiving. You know, like, you can look, half of the problems are nothing to do with foreigners, you know. and Absolutely, 100%. Um, it's, it's simple I agree. Government policies, you know, like, I'll just give you a bit of an example of my background, right? So, mm-hmm. I moved, I'm, you might hear my accent, it's American, but I'm yes. actually not American. I'm from Lithuania. Uh, okay. I left Lithuania when I was three years old, and my family uh, moved to the United States and um, we were seeking refugee status over there because of issues that forced us to leave our country. Um, so it wasn't by choice, that it was actually by fear that we had to leave Lithuania, you know, it was fear for my mom and her kids' lives and everything like that. So we moved to America, we seeked refugee status over there. We stayed there for a decent bit of time until essentially we were kind of kicked out, you know, because they're like, listen, we're not approving you guys for whatever reason, you know, so we got kicked out kind of way. So uh, my dad moved back to Lithuania and uh, we were still in New York at the time. You know, we had a bit of time to kind of get our stuff together and go.
1: How many years were you there, uh, Arthur?
7: So I was there for, I'd say about nine years in total. I was in Canada for two years and now I'm here since 2009. So like I've been around the place, you know, um, not necessarily by choice. It's mainly because. We were forced, you know. Like Eastern Europe isn't the safest place, and especially uh, in the early '90s, you know, when my mom was raising four kids, um, you know, it's it's not easy. And when sure, you it's it's, like it's, being and, it, it's being forced.
1: It's being living. On, it's living under fear, uh, and uh, I, I suppose it's living under a threat of harm that actually validates your application for genuine asylum status.
7: There you go. You know, I'm like, I, I don't know, could we necessarily prove it or what was the story? I was a bit young at the time, you know, so I, mm-hmm. I don't know the full details, but still we came to Ireland at the end of the day. Now, uh, the last time I was on the show, I was talking to Neil, I was telling him exactly that this is how I feel in general, that a lot of people are racist, you know, calling me foreigner, this, that, and the other, even the term yank, you know, it's like, I don't feel at home. I'm like, it's funny because Ireland is the place that I've been longest, you know, since 2009. I'm here almost 13 years. This is the place that I've settled the longest. I've lived the majority of my life here. I've done a lot here. I worked here. I went to college here, everything. And I'm very, very grateful for the opportunities that this country has given me. But do you still not feel at home then? Well, not exactly, because of people like her. You know, mm. and it's like people like her who go around saying that I'm the problem, you know, I'm a foreigner, I'm the problem. And I'm like, how am I the problem? You know, I started working from 17 years old as soon as I was able to work, legally able to work. Um, you know, I went to, I did school, I finished my leading start, I went into college, everything like that. Um, I, the only time I actually took welfare from this country was one, they helped me pay for my college with the Susan Grant, and I was very, very grateful for that because in places like America, I could be in debt two hundred thousand euros for a semester. You know, so I didn't even want to think about college in America. So, um, over here, delighted that that happened. You know, and then the only time I ever took welfare was during the pup or when the pup came out and people were forced. I lost my job. I couldn't do anything about it. You know. I actually finished my degree in biomedical engineering during or at the start of the pandemic, and I was sat at home with a fresh degree, not able to do anything, not able to go to work because nobody's hiring graduate engineers at the time. You know? So
1: it's understandable you would resort to the, the the benefits that were on offer.
7: Exactly, and it's not like I was taking advantage of them or anything. You know, it's, that was I was earning more than the benefits were that were given back to me. But, you know, at the time I was grateful that I was still able to pay my bills some of my bills, you know, everything. I'm not going to lie. I am in debt because of those two years that I was on the PUP looking for a job, everything like that. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm currently working, I'm working six days a week. I started studying another course in manufacturing design of biopharmaceuticals just so I can get out of the situation. I'm stuck of being in this situation of poverty of like people, I, I don't know, like I guess attacking us, people who come here to try to make themselves better, you know? Like, it's not
1: okay, but can, can that I came here. Can I venture, it's, it's only on the rare occasion you would be made feel unwelcome, like, uh, that, that lady obviously touched a nerve, but otherwise do you feel generally welcome here?
7: Generally, for the most part, yeah, but you know, sometimes it's, I don't know, is it old-fashioned people or something like that, you'd be talking to them and they hear the accent, they're like, oh, where are you from? And then as soon as I tell them they kind of, they turn their heads a little bit, you know? they are They're not sure of how she talk to me anymore because I don't know did, did can I, I, can I, with I venture, can I museum, I venture uh, with,
1: with, without trying to offend you uh, that of if I shut my eyes I'd swear I was talking to Michael Flatley yeah <laughs> I don't know who that is <laughs> <laughs> the lord of the dance and uh, river dance Arthur I, I, I know you were on the programme last week as well so let's give somebody else a chance thanks a million for coming on Laura is on line one hi Laura
8: hi how are you
1: you work in a hospital no name now but uh, you work in a hospital so uh, tell us what uh, that's like
9: um, to be honest with you um, it's just about that lady that called in and um, was blaming all the foreigners um, especially when she said about the healthcare system and the list without the adaptees that come over from foreign countries we wouldn't have hospitals because I mean 90% of my workforce are you know foreign nationals that come over and do their adaptation and work very very hard
1: At very long um, hours very for very little pay.
9: Exactly, they actually get paid less than us when they're on their adaptation, which is horrific. Um, And then they have to go and try and find accommodation themselves. So to say that it's their fault, I mean, are are they not allowed, after paying taxes, to have a family and live over here? It's, It's heartbreaking, I mean... There's days that they I I see them phoning their families over in India, Pakistan, and everything, and they're over here for three to six months without their family, without support, and to hear these racist comments. Like I hear them in the hospital on a daily basis as well, especially from the old Irish people, and it's it's horrific, and um, it just it needs to stop. You know, it's it's the government's fault. As they' are you know the person from the asylum that said there's a hundred and thousand odd houses sitting there empty you know There's, there's more to this than just the foreigners coming over you know it's it's
1: terrific. Laura, I, I did a little straw poll o- over the weekend. Not that many now, so it's not that big of a representative sample. It's not scientific in any way, but we were in Maidstone in Kent, uh, or is it in Surrey? I think it's in Kent. Uh, for, for And I want to mention them because I know they're listening right now. Our, our dear friends, John and his wife, Georgie Smith, were celebrating a late 50th, two years after COVID. Uh, and we had to uh, take many taxis because there's a massive train strike and public service transport strike on there. And I made a point of asking each and every one, and some of the waiting staff at the party, uh, and being Irish, we were kind kind of last to leave. We ended up, uh, of course, cleaning up the marquee and picking up all the glasses when those workers came, okay? Uh, All a great laugh, but I asked them all a simple question. Uh, What benefits, if any, of Brexit... Uh, are you experiencing the answer was a hundred percent zero benefits, right, but some of the c- kind of color stories that came around it one of the one of the guy's grandmother was evicted from a from a care home because it had to shut down because all of the uh foreign and I say that in italics, uh, workers were deported, all but a few, and not enough to run the place. Uh, the guy who, who was running the, the kind of marquee and bar service said he cannot get staff unless he pays an inordinate amount to uh, British-born people to to come and do what was being done at normal wages by Essentially, foreigners as, as they would be described. Another guy yeah. said the entire fabric of English society is falling apart. There is food shortages. They can't get truck drivers. Uh, they can't get uh, people to do the menial jobs uh, that that these guys and, and girls were happy to do. And and they they all reckon that England and Britain and uh, you know the UK in general is a poorer place for Brexit and for the very harsh immigration laws that have come into play. Well,
9: I mean, like it. It just goes to show anyway, like Cork, especially anyway, it seems to have huge retention um, issues when it comes to holding on to staff, especially for the hospitals. If we were to support or kick out all these foreigners, as they're called, then we wouldn't have a health system. It would absolutely crumble. It's crumbling as it is with the adaptees and all these foreigners coming in to help out and again, they're nurses, doctors and they're entitled to have families and to have lives.
1: Meanwhile, the brain drain continues as our very talented and trained uh, medical staff are getting much much better conditions abroad in Canada, Australia in Dubai and places further afield.
9: Yeah, 100%. I know loads um, of Irish nurses that qualified with me um, that have gone abroad and they're living a much better life than I am. The only reason I can't go is because I have a mortgage, I have a house, I have a child. You know, I if, if I could, I'd uproot and move in a heartbeat. Um, so, you know, the, the nurses that are coming over here, um, the cost of living, the cost of rent, I, I'd nearly be telling them don't come here because there's much better places to work. And um, so when they do come here, we should be grateful and not saying, oh, this is why we're having a housing crisis. This is why we're having a health crisis. In my opinion, the health crisis would be a lot, lot worse if we didn't have these staff coming over and working their ass off for, sorry, for the HFC.
1: And I'm sure you work your ass off as well as as, as a frontline <laughs> worker in, in the hospital, Laura. Can I ask you that Brexit style question? No, I know Brexit doesn't really apply here uh, in, in this sort of a question. Uh, Ireland of late, I struggle to be honest to find any metric by which this or past governments uh, c- can declare themselves successful, can declare themselves caring, or you know, can declare declare themselves as advocates for the Irish people. They can they can give huge pay increases because we're legally bound to to the top one percent and the upper echelons of society and and uh, in in public service and their directors general of departments, uh, but the hard strapped middle to low earners are really, really struggling to put fuel in the car and food on the table. Oh no, we can't look after that till October. Um, yeah. what, what's Ireland like for a hard-working healthcare worker now? To
9: be honest, it's, it's a struggle even week to week, you know. Um, we all, I suppose, we're all struggling a little bit but um, there was a point there where we thought, are we even going to be able to heat our home there in the, the winter, you know, so you know, to be honest, going to work, paying our taxes, half of it going to the taxman and then, you know, not fixing anything and just blaming everything else, especially blaming Brexit, blaming the pandemic. All these problems were here before that. And um, again, just paying the frontline workers a thousand euro, we still haven't seen that in our wages, you know. so I think some I, of them have, actually. Some have, like the household staff and security and we're told that we'll get paid at this week, you know, um, but again, that was months ago, so to us it was like a slap in the face waiting for this 1000 payment is, You know, the deed of it is nearly done, you know. Yeah, but if you um, put
1: it straight into your oil t- tank, it probably wouldn't last you six weeks.
9: Exactly, you know, um, and especially now the way, like, I, I drive a fair distance to go to work, um, so I'm really feeling it now as well. Um so, yeah, I just, I, I really think we need a shift in government. Um, and, again, I think it's the old-fashioned ways, voting Senegal and Peter you know, it, it, it needs
1: to change. Um, All right, Laura. But,
9: yeah.
1: All right, anything else you want to finish up on? Did you cover everything?
9: No, I think I covered
10: it. Oh, well
1: done. Thanks. Listen, thanks for coming on. That many, not many people do. A lot of people say, I'd oh, I'd love to go on and give him a piece of my mind. Um, yeah. But it takes the brave sometimes to come on and speak live on the radio. Well done, Laura. Thank you. OK, well, one final call before we uh, take a break. Column. good morning. Hi, Column. Hello. Hi, you're an Irish man. You've worked all your life here.
6: Yeah, to be honest it's...
11: This country
1: has become an Yeah, I'm not really hearing you. Can, can you move slightly? Are you on a mobile, Column? I am. Can you hear me now? That's better, yeah.
11: I'm
1: sorry about that. No problem. You're, you're homeless now, are you?
11: I'm staying on a friend's coach um, because I can't afford these thousand and rent. Landlords are um, all after something on the bandwagon to get as much profit. Look, I or understand if we're in the positions, uh, each their own, but this crack was houses that have been basically outrageously overpriced for rent and forcing people to so work more, eat less. Uh, but the point that kids kid is not useful, they to pay rent, I understand your rent is your own, so you, know. yeah. you have to have your home, but like, you, you can't kill yourself to get someone with a mortgage, you know, um, and any landlord I have to jump in on that bandwagon, it should be a shame, because, um, it's, especially if you think everything, places have height. you can barely get to walk for the place, and uh, it's
1: just it's, it's yeah, I, I remember the recession in, in, in the 80s, but at least mm-hmm. then, the, the one good thing was your take-home pay would actually take you home. Exactly, yeah.
11: yeah. And you know what? We
1: were happy anyway. We were yeah. happy. We had we great music day. as well. Um, <laughs> no, you're earning every week and you pay your way. Uh, but are you saying yeah. you pay your way for yourself or so that other people can live in luxury? But, but really,
11: I, I go work for my kids and no one else kids. Um, but yet again, I'm paying for kids too safely when they're turning me in, sit there the door over there, they want to do
1: for their and and it really minds me. And and even though, and I know from your text, you're you're separated and have no family to turn to. But I suppose the sad, ironic thing in your situation is that you renovate houses for the council, so the council, as you say, can give them to everyone but the Irish.
11: Yeah, well, look, I wouldn't
1: to anybody anything. I'm some of my best friends are foreign.
11: And, and gold, and walked out our There's a lot of Irish to take advantage of them as much as they can as well. So it's not, you know, it, it's not fair to to label all the load of foreigners, foreign, foreign If anyone is leaving, it is our councillors and our, and our government. Yeah, the priorities are the things that are the most necessity, um, which is health
5: care. And, and
1: Meanwhile, every landlord has jumped on the gravy train to uh, escalate prices. Of course. And and uh, that that of uh, that of course is in the face of increasing demand. Uh, it's not a great line column. So thank you for coming on, and and we leave it there if you don't mind. Um, thanks. Okay, thanks. Cheers. Uh, by the way, folks, there are forty times more vacant homes in Cork than there are homeless people. That's a stark statistic. So why doesn't someone tackle this? It seems like an easy metric to tackle. There are four hundred and fifty nine homeless adults and seventeen thousand three hundred and eighty vacant homes in Cork City and County. Uh, If you thought 160,000 houses around, 166,000 houses around the country was outlandish and couldn't be, well, there's uh, over 10% of that in Cork. 17,380 vacant homes in Cork City and County. Uh, That's according to May's homelessness report and the latest CSO figures. Uh, And thanks to the production team for incessantly digging up all of the stuff that supports this uh, programme and uh, allows it to be very easy for me to present. So thanks, guys. 459 adults accessed emergency accommodation in all of Cork City and County in May, according to the latest figures in the government's monthly homelessness report. But there are almost 40 times this number of empty homes. Census 2022, it's there in black and white has revealed 17,380 vacant homes in the county, uh, 4,994 vacant homes in Cork City, and 12,286, 12,286, in Cork County. There are 109 children in emergency accommodation while all these homes sit empty, and the Department of Housing's monthly homelessness report, which only records those who have accessed emergency accommodation, reported those 109 children were from 72 families, which were in emergency accommodation in May in the southwest, which compromises Cork City and local authorities and includes Kerry as well. Uh, how and why some figures are reported by county and others are reported by geographic region is unclear. And of course, there's going to be massaging of the figures with, um, you know, people getting emergency accommodation for a night and that taking them off the homeless list for. 24 hour, whatever way it works. There's 3,087 empty rental properties, vacant properties, including short-term lets across Cork City and County, uh, while there were 667 vacant new builds. Now, I don't know why there could be uh, 3,087 vacant properties uh, as rental properties when you can't rent one for love nor money. And somebody's mentioned Airbnb in Cork and how big a role it's playing in the housing crisis. Um, Well, I heard a story from a Kinsale business person who says they cannot retain hospitality staff in Kinsale, Ireland's gourmet capital. It's well known as the um, number one premier destination for the foodies and for gourmet cuisine, they can't apparently retain hospitality staff in Kinsale because they have nowhere to be. And I'm not pointing the finger, finger but they are blaming Airbnb uh, because uh, that's the predominance of places that are for rent at very high nightly rates in Kinsale. But it's driving out the hospitality staff, apparently, that have made the town and given it the reputation it so rightly deserves.
0: Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104 106 Red FM.
1: Coming up on 20 minutes to 11, Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prenderville Show. And a very good morning to you. How remiss of me. We're so busy, I forgot to mention Elton John. Now, you all know Elton John is coming to town on Friday night uh, to play a huge show at Parky Kiev. It's going to be his last tour event. Uh, I'm not saying he's not going to turn up at some hotel somewhere, some swanky castle or somewhere uh, and throw down a few songs, but if you want to see him on tour for the last time in Ireland, Friday night it is, Parky Keeve it is, and we gave you all the do's and don'ts yesterday as well, but we have tickets each day this week, well Monday to Thursday to give away. Friday being too late of course. And we have a set to give away today and we will open our lines, please don't jam up the uh, the phone lines right now because we need them for the programme but we will play an Elton John song and this time it'll be sung by Elton John okay Uh, yesterday I played Ed Sheeran and his wonderful version of Candle in the Wind Uh, but today it's going to be an Elton John song it's going to be sometime between 11 and 12 Uh, that's the only hint I'll give you when you hear it we'll take caller 9 on oh eight one eight one oh four one oh six, but don't call just now because the lines are not yet open. Now then, let's go to the cost of living crisis, which is uh, biting on everybody now, and uh, talk on line two to Kaz. Good morning, Kaz. Hi, Mick.
8: How
1: are you? Oh, very good. You sound bright and bubbly. Anyway, Irish budgeting—what <laughs> okay. is such a thing? Yes, yeah, so
8: um, yeah, it's helping people to plan their finances and get ahead, um, which is, I think, really important right
1: now with the current crisis that's going on. Well, what are the main points of contention, really? What are the worry, pressure points for parents now? I suppose summer's just started, so they don't want to put a down on anything. But you've got to entertain yeah. your kids over the summer, and you've got to prepare financially and otherwise for them going back to school in September. Yeah,
8: that is um, the main issues at the moment for families. Um, You want to keep your kids entertained without putting a strain on your budget and then also be preparing right now for back to school, um, which can be quite an expensive time for so many, um, especially if they're going into secondary school.
1: And does, does that really mean you have to now start to become an active parent and get out on those playgrounds and the walking trails and walk in the woods and foraging and that kind of thing?
8: Yeah, well, you don't have to, but um, we have so many amazing things to see in this country, especially down in Cork. Um, it, it really helps. And I suppose you're showing um, your kids more um, around you, what's around you. Um, I think as well, if, if you can go on these trips, you're going to save so much more money um, than if you go to somewhere where it's going to cost a good bit to, um, you know, just spend the day in, say, an activity centre, whereas you can pack a picnic um, and explore somewhere new, and you can even get the kids involved picking somewhere.
1: Yes, okay. Uh, Let's look at it from the top down. If if you're hoping to entertain your kids abroad this year, uh, it's going to cost you a lot more than you thought uh judging yeah. by the rising fuel prices and the rising airline ticket prices then there's the worry of queuing at airports uh, and i know cork has not got that issue the same as dublin has it was really really bad in dublin at one stage getting better now i'm told as they continue to recruit into the security sector there um and we did and, and this is an aside uh, as i said the other day uh, the airport is filthy but that's because and it's getting better and told as well that's because they took people who had airside air clearance and started training them up for security. Anyway, I digress. You also have to worry that your flight may not take off, uh, uh, which, is, which is a real worry. So you're looking to home. And if you're looking to home, a staycation with the Irish hotel prices at the moment is probably out of bounds as well. So are we now looking at caravanning, camping, B&Bs?
8: yeah um you can look at um also if you know people um that are going away on their own holiday um I have stayed in family friends' houses, so well. that's another option to look at and then lots of day trips as well um so if you're struggling to find offers um for a whole week somewhere, why not break it up and go different days to different places around um I mean, we live in a wonderful country where nowhere is too far, um, for a day trip. Um, you have the lakes and course then of Sheep's Head is the only. Um, you have your boardwalk, then um, Ballycott and Play is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and you can really like find somewhere you haven't been, make a day of it. Um, practicing things that you wouldn't normally eat just to make it a bit more um, of a treat for the whole family um, you can even um, look up things to do in each area like there's some lovely hidden gems around the
1: place Okay, so there's picnic trails there's walks, there's playgrounds uh, but how do you keep them healthy? How do you keep the little ones healthy on, on a tight budget and uh, introduce that bit of variety and interest in the food?
8: So I often look at um, the likes of the Super 6, so then you have your, um, your fruits uh, from that there. Um, also, you can, um, you know, cut your sandwiches into um, shapes to make that fun for the kids. Um, I do with picnics, so try to keep it um, to things that they wouldn't normally have, because it just makes it a bit more of a treat. Um so they might have, say, um, a yogurt that they don't normally have. Um, I don't know about yours, but mine loves, um, to crumble into a yogurt every now and then. Um, yeah, just, just picking things that are, um, healthier, but still a treat. Um, so adding that variety there.
1: Okay. Uh, so, for anyone on a tight budget, this, we uh, won't <laughs> we've had much of a summer yet, um, how are you keeping the kids amused when it's uh, totally torrentially raining most of the time?
8: Yeah, so we have lots of tips there. Um, we we like to do, like, um, fun days at home as well. So, we'll do, um, if, if it's raining, we'll go for, like, a board games day. Um, another thing I love doing with them is a treasure hunt. And um, this actually can go on for quite a while because they can look for something using your clues. And then once they've found the treasure, I'll ask them to um, make up their own treasure hunt. So um, they'll come up with clues for me. And uh, it's a great way to keep them busy and it keeps their creativity going. Um, so it obviously depends on the age of the kids. Now I have a variety of ages. Um, but, yeah, it, it keeps them busy. Um, and then another thing we like to do is get some friends around and um, get them involved as well.
1: Okay, and what about sleepovers and playdates and that kind of thing? Can that add a little spice to it? Uh, of course, yeah. you, you know, you, you, you're you going to have safety as number one priority. It's going to have to be with people you trust. Yeah.
8: Yeah, no, playdates are amazing. And it's a great way to keep them... Um, Socially uh, in with their friends over the summer, I think that's so important with kids. Like uh, we noticed that probably over the pandemic, there um, like these kids really need to be around other kids. And um, yeah, it's great for you as well because they'll go off and play, um, and it breaks up the summer. Um, and then when they go back to school, they've already been around their friends um, throughout the summer. So yeah, it's it's a, a great way of keeping them busy for sure.
1: Okay, uh, let's bring uh, Linda on here who has something to add to the topic. Linda, uh, you c- you can uh, speak to us on the same thing.
12: Hi, how are you?
1: Very good. What what's your money saving tip?
12: So um, I'm in that percentile of um, of um, people that everybody keeps referring to as the lower. Uh, effective income earners and I suppose I have to be savvy with the money that I have in my paycheck every week. Um, A couple of things that I do is um, I try to liaise with the Wi-Fi providers, the electricity providers, um, bins, mortgage insurance um, to see if I can get a better deal than I'm on currently. Um, Some of the other things that I do is I try to shop for own brand food products and I um, target the reduce section in supermarkets. I find Wednesdays to be quite good.
11: Vouchers?
1: Um, do you do vouchers?
12: Yeah, I do, yeah, and I try to shop around as much as possible. Um, depending on what offers they're on during the weeks, so I might go to different chains, supermarkets, um, to get what I need. So.
1: Yeah, batch <laughs> cooking is another uh, option, I guess, and, and, yeah, and freezing. Yeah,
3: I do.
12: Yeah, I do that quite often. I batch cook and I freeze. And um, so I prevent waste, and I reduce electricity for cooking. I also try and um, walk and cycle to the shops where possible, just so I'm saving on fuel consumption because I have to drive for work. Um,
1: yeah. and are are, are are the savings evident, or are you you, you know you're just managing to live within a budget because you do all of these things? Are you seeing um, the savings?
12: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Like I'll give you an example. I'm with Air currently for my broadband and TV and I got an email last week to say that there would be a five euro increase on my bill from the 1st of August. And because I rang them yesterday and I liaised with them, they reduced my bill. So now in effect, I have a saving of maybe 80 euros a year on the bill that I would have normally.
1: And that all adds up, of course, if you can do that Absolutely. in four or five different yeah, areas.
12: Exactly. That's it. You might yeah. see it with, with one provider, but if you do EA's with all of them or you change providers with all of them, you could make a significant saving.
1: OK, so there's a big overlap here, Kaz, uh, in, yeah. in, in, into what you're doing, which is, I suppose, concentrating on how to keep kids entertained for the summer and back to school on a budget. But of yeah. course, it's a, it, there are wider implications throughout the entire Gambit of uh, family expenses in a home electricity, TV, internet, bins, mortgages, uh, insurance. Yeah. Um,
8: yeah, it's just crippling right now. Um, for so many families, like it could be so overwhelming. Um, yeah. like there's people looking at budgeting now that never had to before. Um, and like it's kind of a necessity right now for so many. You have to, to keep going. yeah.
1: Uh, Kaz, it's, it's, not, it's not a great line, so I'll have to leave you there, I'm afraid. So, uh, thanks very much. Linda, one, one more point from you. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and you've covered a lot of stuff there because, uh, you know, there are supermarkets. I'm aware of Dunn's offer. They do a kind of a 10 euro off every 50 spend. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, th- there are Tesco and other big multiples and Aldi mm-hmm. and Lidl and all that do their mm-hmm. weekly things. Uh, but even down to changing light bulbs to energy saving mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. They're expensive, though, to buy, but they pay for themselves in the long run.
12: They are absolutely, um, like we changed all our light bulbs to energy efficient ones and it it actually did make a difference in my uh, bi-monthly bill. I didn't think it would, but it it did.
1: I think there's a horrible light off them, that's the only thing.
12: I know, that's the only thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not as nice as uh, as the filament bulbs that gives light. a kind of a warmer yellow glow. Uh, they're, yeah. they're very bright and, and it takes a long time to get used to them.
12: Mhm, mhm. We we'll just have one on it, as opposed to having them all on. It, I suppose.
1: Okay, uh, and switching lights off. Uh, I-, I know that a lot of people are conscious now of how many times they boil the kettle. Or uh, yes. may- maybe a good tip is: does anyone want a cup of tea? Just do it in the one boil of a kettle.
12: Yeah, or you know, if you're making only one cup of tea, like don't have the kettle full. You know, common sense as well. You know, only only use what you have to. Yeah, um, but I suppose you know that's not going to work for everyone as well. Mm.
1: So, and, I and we was, we thought we were coming out of hard times. Isn't it one thing and after you know, another?
12: I know, I know, it's horrible, really. But look, we're we're strong, resilient people. We'll get through it.
1: Exactly. All right. Thanks a million, Linda. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. Bye bye. Yes, I think we're going into an inflation led recession. It's not going to be a poverty led recession because a lot of people have that uh, reserve. Maybe not all, uh, and I empathize with those, but there are people who have a little bit of reserve cash this time, but they're now going to see it being eaten eaten into with increased food and especially energy costs as we approach the winter.
0: Talk to Neil now. 104 Cork's
1: Red FM. And it's coming up on 5 minutes to 11. Uh, the cost of living on a budget is official now. Ireland is the most expensive country in Europe, along with Denmark. According to the latest data by the Statistical Office of the European Union, Ireland's 40% now above the EU average. We've received many mails uh, like this from listeners uh, over the past few days seeking advice as the government show no sign of an emergency budget. Nope, we can wait till October. Uh, here's one of the mails we got. It generated an awful lot of Facebook comments, which I'll get to now. Uh, I know many of us are feeling the pinch with the increased cost of living, but it's causing me major anxiety. I'm constantly down to my last few cent, and it's becoming harder and harder to pay the bills. Can you ask your listeners if there are any money-saving ideas to cut costs? Uh, it's getting to the point where I'm afraid to switch the oven on as it costs too much. How? Are people coping with spiraling costs? Well, we've heard from Linda, we've heard from Kaz, and there are other comments that came in on the back of that. Where where do you cut costs when no matter where you run, you go, you run into the same problem? The savings cuts are out of people's hands, unfortunately, and the help required is not being received. Another texter says, I can't believe the government is doing absolutely nothing to help the poorest and people. Once again, just take it on the chin anywhere else they'd be on the streets. So, says Sonia, you'll own nothing, but you will be happy. WEF, that's the World Economic Forum. This is only going to get a lot worse, not just Ireland, but worldwide. It's time to wake up, says Mark. Have a look at the TV programme, How to Be Good with Your Money. I think there are four series and two books. He's Irish, so it's about people living in Ireland. I think the best thing is to make a list of wants and needs. See if there's a way you can cut down on your needs and just get the wants. Or maybe it's the other way around. See if there's ways you can increase your income. Uh, that you're comfortable with. Uh, that's a suggestion from Margaret. Here's a much longer one. To everyone, and not to the writer in particular, if you have land, start your own vegetable garden. Walk more if you can. Switch lights off and unplug equipment. That's on standby. Get blankets and wear more clothes around the house. Bath together. Now there's a good one. Shorter showers. Bath together. Uh, reduce your drinking. Shop around. Save and cut wood for the winter. Stop smoking. Stop smoking. Reduce your spend on the kids. Sell stuff you don't need on Done Deal or uh, on your Facebook page. Get a second job. Ask for a pay rise. There's no harm in asking. Get smaller cars with less tax and insurance prices. You don't need a big car. Sue your bank for changing your mortgage from fixed to tracker. Emigrate to a cheaper country until this latest bubble bursts and house prices and rents once again fall through the floor. It will. It always does. Ask your council what grants are available to help you? Uh, talk to Meals and Wheels about subsidized food for them uh, from them. Penny dinners and cork is not only for the homeless. Do not be proud. It's a short life and needs must when the devil is driving. This is the wrong equation of civilization. If you're working, check your own tax. Make sure you're in the correct bracket. Revenue will not look after you. You must keep an eye on it and so it says George I was waiting for that to be signed off by a certain Eamon Ryan
0: 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show
1: Hello very good morning coming up on 8 minutes past 11 on this uh, Tuesday June 28th on line 2 Ellie Byrne from the website TriPenterSheen. Uh, Ellie good morning
10: Morning Mick how are you
1: doing? I'm good that's an interesting name for a website tell us about that first
10: <laughs> okay so uh we are two freelance journalists and we founded an online sub stack so that means it's delivered straight to your into your email inbox all of our news we do features and on thursdays we do long reads which tend to be kind of investigative stuff about stuff going on around cork city and county and we're called tripe and machine and we always say to people you don't have to eat it you just have to read it okay <laughs> so well it's just fun. a nod to the nod to the uh you know fantastic cork citizens all right around. fair play
1: uh, now, of course, we have text coming in, uh, people incredulous at the, some of the stats I read out that there are 40 times more vacant homes than homeless people uh, in County Cork, but it's actually true.
10: Yeah. Yes, it is. So basically, I mean, you know, I mean, as a journalist, you get in various different things and loads of different statistics and every uh, month you get the government homeless report, which is broken down by county. So in May, there were 459 uh, adults who had sought emergency accommodation in Cork City and County. And then the same day I just got in this thing from the, the you know, Census 2022, the figures are finally coming out from that, which is a bit of a blessing because we've been working from 2016 figures for a long time. And uh, what that census data, preliminary data shows us is that in Cork City, there are four thousand nine hundred and ninety-four vacant homes, and in Cork County, there are twelve thousand two hundred and eighty-six
1: vacant homes.
8: So, I okay,
10: just kind vacant, of... vacant homes is one together, thing because you know?
1: that's that's fully functioning holiday homes that people from, might come back to over over and again. Here, right?
10: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, the I mean, the Central Statistics Office is amazing. So, they have a full breakdown of reasons why why homes are vacant as well so i mean i suppose it's important to note that you know i'm not trying to suggest that every single one of these homes could be immediately turned over for for somebody who's in emergency accommodation you know and when you read the the full breakdown of some of the reasons you know i mean some of it is quite sad so in you know in cork county for example um 802 homes are vacant because their owner is in a nursing home or a hospital. You know, so there are these stories. Some of those homes are for sale. uh, But, you know, I mean, some of it is just flabbergasting. I mean, like, countywide, there
1: are, um, you know... uh, 3,087 empty uh, rental properties. With with rent so high and so lucrative for the landlords, how could there be over 3,000 empty rental properties?
10: Okay, well, I mean, recently I was writing about Airbnb in Cork City and County, so that includes all of those short-term lets, and we do know that landlords are, you know, being really attracted by the higher, uh, the higher income they can generate from short-term letting as opposed to long-term letting, and that there are, you know, well over a 1,000 of those homes would be short-term lets that are advertised on Airbnb and places like
1: that. I, I know so somebody, that's, not that's, not in this city, in, in one of Ireland's other cities, uh, who rented a fairly substantial property uh, and paid up front for the year on the basis they could manage how they let that property themselves uh, and then let it nightly. Uh, and this is in, in in a city's, you know, hotspot entertainment-wise, if you like, and made yeah. an absolute fortune renting it by the night by the room by the night. Uh, obviously had to have it managed, had to have their guests welcome, but they were using the Airbnb model or maybe Airbnb itself and uh, and made an absolute fortune doing that.
10: That's only a small part of the picture. And we did actually, if people want to go to the Trip website, we did a recent long read all about and uh, Airbnb and and the impact that's having on the housing market. But some of these figures, I mean, one thing that's really stunning to me is this idea that there are 1,373 abandoned farmhouses in the county. And, you know, I mean, I think I see that if I'm, like, I'd be keen on cycling and I'd be cycling around the place. And you see this pattern where you see, obviously, what was the original house that's fallen into disrepair and then the family... You know, as they got more prosperous in their farming, built another bigger house. And sometimes you see three of them. You know, sometimes you see the newest one as well. And and those old homes, I mean, like that's that's an amazing figure, really. You know, uh, especially when you consider that, um, you know, county wide. In fact, in all of Cork and Kerry, uh, there are 109 children currently in emergency accommodation in Cork City and County and in Kerry together and we have 1374 abandoned farmhouses wow. <laughs> you know i mean i just say I, I you know i'm not a politician and my job is not to find the solutions to these things my job is to to highlight them and write about them but especially uh, you know in line in in line with the county development plan and the city development plan uh that, that we recently have where the focus is really on new builds the focus is on last night we had a meeting of cork city council where they rezoned you know voted to rezone huge tracts of land uh on the basis of the fact that uh we need all these new builds we're in the middle of a housing crisis uh, we have to have supply of new housing stock and you know i mean 17 more than 17,000 vacant homes in the county, I I think maybe it might be time to be looking at some kind of pattern around what we're doing with how we occupy houses.
1: Countrywide, though, stark reading as well, there are 23,483 homes vacant for 11 years or more.
10: Yes, they're the houses that have been vacant since Census 2011. So that's 14% of the country's uh, 166,000 vacant homes have been vacant for 11 years. So there's some kind of problem happening here. You know, yeah. we really need to look at this as a pattern. And in Cork alone, 2% of the vacant properties have been vacant since census 2016. So that means that 1 in 50 of the vacant properties have been vacant for over six years there's some kind of a problem with with how we're doing things, you know. Okay. I don't know what the answer is. If it's, you know, like the thing is, is that I know that there's a lot of calls, got a press release in from the Green Party last week. They're calling for a more stringent vacant property tax. And I can understand the kickback against that, because then when you look at the fact that, you know, some of the reasons for that vacancy is that a relative has died or is in a nursing home, you know, We don't want a really punitive society either, but it's very clear that we're going to have to start doing something to to look at this problem, you know.
1: Okay, I I mentioned Airbnb being uh, the assumed reason from a Kinsale business person uh, that they can't get their hands on and retain hospitality staff because there's nowhere in Kinsale apparently for them to get accommodation. And of course it's not just Airbnb, VRBO is another big one there. Um, to to what extent do you think Airbnb and the, the attraction of those, you know, very high nightly rents is taking away from standard rental stock?
10: I mean, I I think it is significant. I think it is a big problem. I actually, when we did that uh, long read, which went out, um, I think it was in March, yeah, the end of March, um, I interviewed Tim Lombard, who is a senator from Kinsale, and he told me that he knows of one individual who has eight airbnb properties uh, you know in kinsale alone so it's very clear that in areas where there's where there's a lot of tourism this is going to cause some it's a business model yeah yeah like when i so when i looked uh in march at the end of march and i think i i might have been on to speak to neil about this but when I looked in March, um, there were 62 rental properties being advertised for all of Cork City and County on Daft on the day that I wrote this article. And there were 1,089 entire homes on Airbnb. Wow. So that's a, you know, that's a significant part of the problem. And you can see it because, as you said, the incomes are, are, are so high. So, I mean, I looked at individual cases. There was, there was one host who had earned 71,000 in a year from a a house in Turner's Cross. You know, that's attractive to landlords. But, of course, we now have legislation. Those landlords are now supposed to be applying for um, retention, change of use, um, so that they can... You know, it's a commercial activity, not a domestic...
1: Yeah, uh, now, while you're meant to tell the absolute truth on your census return, uh, I wonder, uh, there's 2,646 homes vacant for renovation... Oh, that's going to be a big boost for the DIY industry. I'd say they're on short-term let. 1962 properties were being sold. Uh, Many of them are on short-term let, I'd say. And 212 homes were empty because the owners had emigrated. Didn't bother selling.
10: Yeah, and, you know, I think that's so interesting when it comes to Ireland and how we look at, um, you know, how we deal with vacancy. You know, the very interesting thing about this census as well is that this is the first time since after the famine, that we've had a population increase. So, you know, we learn in school, when we go into school and we learn about, oh, the famine and there was emigration and stuff like that, what we don't learn is that the population continued to decline to a low of 2.1 million in the 60s. I mean, the country was basically abandoned. And so what used to happen is that somebody died or somebody emigrated, they locked the key in the door and they walked off. (laughs) And there was no pressure on our land use. If we're going to be a more densely populated country, we're really going to have to consider how how we use our land, how we look after our vacant properties, you know, because vacancy causes dereliction as well. That's the other interesting thing about it. We've been covering this, you know, extensively for the past year. The council has a real problem trying to collect levies. You know, there's a there's a levy imposed on on derelict properties because they crumble they become sites for antisocial behaviour, they bring down a, a whole area, you know, all of this type of stuff. And so dereliction has been a real problem. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with you know, the, the houses on nor- or the buildings on North Main Street, for example, that were just left to rot for years and years and years and became dangerous and actually fell out onto the street. So, you know, long-term, vacancy becomes dereliction because you can't have a house with nobody in it. It has to be
1: used, it has to know. be kept warm, etc.
10: Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I mean, I suppose, like, uh, the other thing as well that's interesting is that those, the figures that come from the government on the number of of homeless people, um, that has to be, you know, the homeless problem is much bigger than this visible problem as well. Yeah, so the so figures those- are
1: being massaged, basically.
10: Well, those 459 adults that you have to, you have to register for and ask for emergency accommodation in a local authority to be included in those figures. So, you know, it doesn't include, uh, you know, people who are couch surfing, people who are kind of staying in unstable situations for long periods of time. So, you know, it's a, it's slightly, um, it is. It's not exactly massage, but it is only the most basic level of people who are actually in emergency accommodation. Yeah,
1: so, so soft you know, touch I, figures, yeah.
10: Yeah, but I mean, I I do think that just by and that's the freedom of writing for Drive seen That's brilliant. Is that I can do things like this, like just by looking at these figures with a different lens and going, okay, the government is telling me 459 adults accessed emergency accommodation. Here's the 17,380 vacant properties and the, you know, the the empty rentals and the 1,300 abandoned farmhouses in the county. And I just, you know, I think that it's a value that we look at those things. It's a snapshot.
1: Well, there, there's there's a possible supply of accommodation outside of, uh, you know, maybe you have to get renovation planning, but it's essentially outside of the, the planning process. It's just, you know, these are all fixer-uppers or whatever, and they could... Uh, help to defray the huge waiting lists for housing.
10: And I wonder if some of the solution to this is more along the carrot-not-stick thing. I wonder if we could have better grant systems, more flexibility. You know, when you talk to people, say when you talk to people about, like, the whole idea of living above the shop, because in Cork City we can quite clearly see, you look at the shop front, and then there's no one living above most of them. They're just empty. But when you talk to p- people in planning, they'll tell you that there are building regulations and fire and access problems, you know. And some people have been saying we need, you know, we need to kind of re-examine those things as well to make sure because, you know, we have a now we have a city development plan and a county development plan that are both telling us that we need to have higher density housing.
1: Are we looking at you a know, skyscraper future, Ellie?
10: Well, I have written quite negatively about that in the past because I don't think that we have factored in, you know, I got a press release the other day from, uh, from Court City Council about the fire service, for example. We don't have a fire service at the moment that's equipped to deal with high-rise living. Okay. if there, should there Never be, thought of that. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a, a huge one. Other things as well, um, mental health and isolation and other pressures on people who are in high-rise Um, You know, we haven't really uh, developed ourselves as a city yet to be able to factor in those things. You Mm. need a lot of green space. If you're going to have families and people with small children living in high-rise, there needs to be lovely parks everywhere for them in order for them to have an okay quality of life. So I would approach that high-density thing with with a real... A serious proviso that you really need to look at the well-being of the occupants first and foremost with that, or else we're just making, you know, losing Cork's character and making a, a city that is unpleasant to live so in. So what's the
1: magic bullet, well, Ellie, with, with your considerable experience now on the supply and demand and, and you know, the level yeah. of each of these uh, areas, what, what what would be the magic bullet if you were to advise government?
10: Well, if I was to advise this government, I would ask them to first and foremost produce a comprehensive white paper on vacancy. A, a, a proper study, a, a, a countrywide study, it has to be done in a very sensitive way because you, ha- you need to be able to interview people and really figure out the reasons why properties are left vacant without condemning them because everyone has a story. And as you already said, some of those stories are quite sad. I don't want, you know, we're, there's a lot of push on at the moment for, oh, we, you know, we, we need it to increase the vacant property tax and all of this. I can understand that. But I would like to see, obviously, being, you know, into gathering information myself as my livelihood. I'd be more interested in, first of all, seeing a proper attempt to tackle this coming from a a comprehensive, full, all-country study of what exactly is going on here. And then we can find a balance of stick and carrot, because the other thing as well, you know, like, say, if you go to France, there's the Gis, for example, or in Italy, they call it agriturismo. They have... um, subsidized uh you know they in farmers renovate properties and convert to tourism for example so could we alleviate some of the airbnb problem by making sure that farmers in beautiful rural settings are converting those derelict farmhouses and renting them out and some income everyone's worried about farm incomes as well are there solutions like this that we're just not exploring and it seems to be because the push is just on to cover the country in concrete now. It's all about building the new homes. The most sustainable home is the home that's already in existence.
1: All right. We're going to have to leave it there. I am want to finish up with some text. But uh, the uh, increase in population you mentioned, I think we're over 5.1 million now for the 32 counties, anyway. Yeah. Uh, 26 counties, I beg your pardon. And um, that demands we have 11 more TDs. Would you fancy running for one of them? Because you're talking a lot of sense. <laughs>
10: absolutely not no i'm going to keep turning out the turning out the articles i'm trying to point in the right direction if, if people want to they can find uh my twitter handle is at O'Byrne one and you can also find us at Rasheen and Tripe and rasheen also have uh, an instagram and a facebook and i just urge people to sign up because you get really good quality news stories direct to your inbox and we're reader supported and ad free
1: all right, brilliant. Tripe and seems like a very, very good resource for information. Elio Byrne, thank you very much this morning for coming on The Neil Prandefil Show. Thanks Mick. Cheers, bye bye. Now the government couldn't care less, uh, they won't help why would they on their savage money they'll never know what it is to financially struggle says Chris it's disgraceful in a so called first country that people are uh, putting up with these figures and this lack of availability says Lisa, uh, you'll probably find tax, excise and duty make our 40% higher than most European countries too, except maybe Denmark. German VAT for groceries is 7%, in France it can be low as 5.5% so, says Tiger. and there's a few more on this uh, very emotive issue. On the point of afraid to turn the oven on, we got an air fryer, one with shelves rather than the basket style. The preheat is rapid and the cooking is reduced by about 30%, and we do almost everything in it, rarely turning on the cooker, says Linda. And that must save a lot of money. Mark has a one-word text. It just goes, emigrate. Uh, another texture. Clem says, it's fairly sad indeed, plus 25% on the electricity bills over the past few months. Filled up my car today, cost me 20 bucks more uh, than my week of groceries. I'm sick of it, says Clem. Uh, and a money-saving tip from Joe's, don't smoke or drink alcohol.
0: Call the Neil Prenderville Show now, 0818 104 106. Red FM.
1: And a very good morning from the Neil Prandeville Show coming up on 29 Minutes Past 11. Pat Phelan joins us in line two. Good morning, Pat. Morning. How are you, Mike? Very good. Uh, once upon a time called the, uh, the Steve Jobs of Ireland. You were very much technologically led in your success.
13: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't go as far as Steve Jobs. <laughs>
1: but, uh. <laughs> but the success rolls out uh, on a continuing basis, Pat. Congratulations. You've officially brought Sisu Clinic to the USA yesterday. Tell us the story.
4: Yeah, so,
13: uh, as probably people know, we started four years ago in Academy Street uh, on the third floor. And uh, I joined James and Ryan uh, and the third wheel, I suppose, the third brother. And uh, we opened our headquarters now up on street. And uh, there's six, 16 locations now in Ireland, five coming up in the UK. This year, and we opened in Miami yesterday as part of a a rapid push in, a rapid push into the u s and uh we will open nine or ten clinics there this year and I, I suppose kind of probably a bit of pride bringing something from course to the rest of the world, you know
1: yeah. Uh, and, of course, you've had tremendous success in the past, but the Sisu, in its essence, is a doctor-led cosmetic medicine destination. Is that distinct from cosmetic surgery destination?
13: Absolutely. Um, there's no surgery. Um, we we administer treatments like Botox fillers, dermal fillers, uh, Kybella, you know, so we're gaining for most of our patients, you know, 20, 25 minutes.
1: Okay. And was this something that was new to you when you brought your skills to bear with the uh, fledgling core company, shall we say?
13: Completely new to me. Um, I kind of, I was kind of lucky, really. I'm pretty early on trends. And, you know, if you're probably looking at most of the world today, there's a, there's a very quick movement towards wellness, fitness, beauty, you know, kind of service-driven industries. And... Uh, so I was new to it, but James, James and Brian had been injecting almost 10 years now. So, you know, they had, they had oceans of experience. And I kind of brought, you know, the, the business side of it and the quick scaling
1: part to it. So you're almost like the Dragon's Den style of, uh, of approach.
13: Well, I suppose I was very lucky in the two guys, you know. They yeah. had that early scaling part. And I was able to come in and kind of, I think, I think the term used in technology is blitz scale. Yeah, so, uh, you know, to be the biggest on the planet this year is is been fairly rapid.
1: Wow. Okay. And are are you scaling from within, uh, from profits within, or does it take uh, VC, venture capital? Or are you supplying? Uh, you know, is is, is there a continue investment on your part, or are you growing organically?
13: Um, probably a bit of both. We've raised about eleven million dollars from some of the some of the most famous VC firms in the world. Uh, Greycroft out in New York, who, you know, probably Mark, Mark Check would probably be their skills, but they're one of the top 10 venture capitalists in the world, both 10 out of San Francisco, and um, Montage Ventures out of Menlo Park. So we have three um, highly skilled venture capitalists be, behind us, and then we have Irish um, investors as well, people like Liam Casey, Dan and Linda Pilot.
1: Okay, so uh, yeah, that's a that's a real cork sort of a mishmash, really, of uh, of the, the brains and, and and the money that's been uh, that's been part of your success. So, uh, if if you were to break down Sisu in, in into one little module, let's let's say let's say the cork module, uh, what what would it have? You, as you say, it's doctor led. What what other type of staff and experts is in a Sisu clinic? We're a team
13: now of over hundred and. Um, and I, I, I think the key part here, and I think this is probably the successful success factor in it is that when when we look at the competitive landscape, you know, there's kind of this super high end, you know, almost plastic surgeon doctor type practice, which is very small at the bottom end, you know, there's these meds where people are taking charitable risks, you know. A beautician injecting their face with no medical experience, and we kind of play in that white space in the middle where you know you're going to see a medical professional. You're 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 under their care, you know. And I I see it kind of online quite a bit where people start talking about their clients and their customers. We don't have any of that. Uh, everyone that comes in here is a patient, and they're looked after under medical rules and under
1: so GDPR, I, I imagine. I,
13: all tons of it, absolutely, and GDPR in Ireland and HIPAA in the US, which is even, even stronger than GDPR. So, you know, everyone's a patient, everybody's privacy is protected, and I think that's kind of really important. So I think people see, you know, that they're in a medical practice rather than, you know, some type of backstreet place.
1: Yeah, or, or a beauty else. bar or whatever. Uh, so that, a very good analogy, you're claiming the white space in the middle. So these are advanced beauty treatments. And, and so tell me what you've learned about Botox, dermal fillers, skin boosters, thread lifts. What does Pat Phelan know about all that now?
13: Well, I've had most of them. So, I'm, uh, you know, people talk about getting high on your own supply. So, uh, <laughs>
1: not many men would admit that, Pat.
13: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not that sure, but I know that. It's our it, the male, male population is our fastest growing segment. You know, if you were to look back, probably, you know, you might remember going to the gym, whatever, whenever. You know, if you if you were to kind of deodorant, you were one of the unusual ones, or <laughs> you know, shower gel or whatever. I remember I stream with Tony Martin years ago, and you had been nearly sharing bars of soap if you were having a shower after the gym. And now men are taking a lot more care of themselves and so we'd have. A, we have a vast array of male patients, from from builders to CEOs. So that's you know every everybody wants to look a bit fresher. You know, there's yeah. this there's there's this I, I, I suppose what's called the zoom boom, where we're you know everybody's working from home, looking at screens of themselves eight hours a day, and we're seeing an inverse of ourselves because the screen reverses you and people are of looking at themselves and these small little imperfections
1: that they come in to see to, to fix it. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, one thing is true for you and it's 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 a, a statement that I learned from my, my great and recently departed friend Colm O'Connell. He said, if, if you're looking at a business, you are got to find out is there a gap in the market? But then you've got to find out is there a market in the gap?
13: Yeah, and listen, this, this is this has grown from probably a low billion dollar industry five years ago to now growing at 15% a year and the whole industry is growing at 15% a year. We're growing at a hundred percent a year, but you know, heading towards a, 20 to $30 billion spend within the next three years.
1: Okay, but but while you're probably easily able to saturate one clinic's uh, capacity, uh, the only way you can really grow now is by massive geographical expansion. Is that correct?
13: Exactly, and, and massive marketing. You know, I, I think, you know, we went live on Sky TV with our first advert today. We just uh, were a month into a massive saturation of billboards, bus shelters, etc. So, you know, you're seeing things kind of everywhere. And we think there's a huge opportunity to become one of the preeminent brand in Ireland. But there's the, strangely enough, there's the exact same gap in the US. So we opened in Miami yesterday, our labels were opening in Soho in New York in four weeks' time. Then we moved back to Brickell City Centre in Miami after that. Then we moved to Flatiron in New York after that. Then we moved to Houston. So we're very planned out for the rest of the year. And then we're opening a new clinic shortly in Waterford. We're opening a new clinic shortly in Castle Knock in Dublin. And uh, then on to Hampstead, St. John's Wood, and a number of London
1: clinics. And how, so how do you recruit, Patrick? Like, these are very specialist roles. How, how do you fulfill recruitment?
13: Um, actu- actually, quite interesting, I think. I think what we're seeing across the industry is that doctors, dentists, they're all worn out from um, HSE type roles, where they're working a hundred hours a week on four salaries. So uh, recruitment at the moment is quite easy for us okay. in the U.S. and um, it's a bit more difficult. Uh, we've had success so far new injectors in our miami location before we even open and i think what happens then is it tends to work out as word of mouth. someone comes in they're happy they encourage more more of their friends mm-hmm.
1: but pat phelan probably won't end his business career here because i think you you will like to bring a project to completion is there a is there an exit strategy going public becoming the uh, object of a merger and acquisition and pat will suddenly pop up doing something else one of these years
13: uh, listen, you know, I, I think there's a long road in this one. Um, I think there's an appetite with the three of us and our backers to take this company public. Um, but, you know, that's going to take a lot more effort and a lot more scaling to get to that stage. And uh, we will see what's next.
1: Okay, that's probably not. Probably not <laughs> Well, it's it's a it's a cork success story. And we're happy. We're happy to give you the free publicity here, where it all started, uh, Pat. And uh, every continued success to Sizu in your massive global expansion. And congrats on uh, Miami in uh, the USA yesterday, Pat Phelan, Thank you very much. Thanks very
13: much, all of us. And, and thanks to all the Red FM for the support. Thanks, really Pat. appreciate it. Cheers.
0: Thanks. Bye-bye. The Neil Frendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818 104 106.
1: And it's just turned 20 minutes to 12 o'clock. Now, to walk six kilometers would be a challenge for most people. To walk it for those needing a walker uh, would be an even uh, greater challenge. But to walk it for those needing a walker uh, of a very young age, uh, born with cerebral palsy, uh, is a, quite a feat indeed and I'm here to, now to speak to uh, the mum of one of these heroes and that is Adam Clark who crossed the line, the finish line of the 6 kilometer charity mini marathon on Monday so good morning to Therese
14: Hi, how are you Nick? Very good. Welcome to
1: Newcastle. <laughs> Delighted for you and you must be very proud of your little man
14: We're so proud of Adam he did really really well yesterday with his whole school behind him cheering him on
1: Okay, let's get to the good news uh, and the fundraising in a moment. But let's get to the backstory first, right? Uh, Adam yes. was prematurely born?
14: Adam, Adam was born in July 2016.
1: Okay, yes. but he was born prematurely. Is that, is that right?
14: He, no, he was born just, uh, just a week. He was 38 and 5 days. Oh, so, 38 so and was, 5, okay. He made it. yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: He and, was good. and what challenges did he face?
14: Oh, Adam arrived very quickly into the world. Um, he was born in less than an hour. We, I think he was seven minutes in CUMH from the door to being born. Okay. Um, yeah, he was very quick. Um, a fantastic team. Welcomed Adam into the world and brought him around. He lacked oxygen for, for 90 seconds. Um, and then he met the wonderful Gene Dempsey and his team.
1: Okay, but he has, so, he has triplegic cerebral palsy. He has
14: triplegic cerebral palsy, which limbs. was discovered afterwards. Yeah, so triplegia would be three limbs. Um, and I suppose it takes a while, Nick, to, to diagnose cerebral palsy. It can be very tricky to diagnose at such a young age. But once they discovered that Adam had bleeds in his brain actively, and many of them, and got them under control, they were able to let Adam come home. Okay,
1: and he he gets so, about now aided with the walker and he also has Ted the power wheelchair
14: he does he does the walk is very hard for Adam but something he wants to achieve himself um, he he would love to walk he's
1: yeah, trying his and best and he, to walk he achieved the 6 kilometers on a cumulative basis of course was it all done on Monday
14: no he started in September last okay. year in Cork at just the doing New little Marathon. bits doing little bits Doing a yeah. little bit. And counting. And it he up. finished this he counted it up. We we added it all up and he kept wanting to go ahead and, and do more. Um he had an operation in November that threw threw him back a little bit, it set him back a while. And he he wanted to do some walk, some of his walk, his marathon he calls it, with his schoolmates. So we set about completing it with school. Mm-hmm. And and he got there. He got there yesterday. They're just finishing school here now for, for junior infants. He must be quite, quite the
1: star now because I, I read him out in the morning paper review as well. He's making much of the national papers.
14: He is, and deservedly so, Mick. He's, he's put a lot of work into it. Um, he has huge support in the Naval Ireland. He was supporting school. He has a great team around him. He's been very lucky.
1: Yeah. Is he he's a renewed boy now? Is he, is he bursting with pride?
14: He's bursting with pride, Mick. We, he was on Ireland AM this morning after seeing the papers. And he he was on Ireland DM and I got a picture of him realising it was him on television and he was just oh,
11: beaming
15: wow.
14: brilliant. Absolutely beaming. They made it, they made it now for him. They really finished off yesterday to a T. When he hears this later now he'll be absolutely chuffed. Oh. You have no idea. He's very, very able minded and, and it's standing to him. You know, it's giving him huge determination.
1: I think I think his bravery and his tenacity and his courage uh, and his drive and energy should be recognized by a special spot on the toy show but i've nothing to do with that uh, oh, well, <laughs> let's we, hope we the powers that be here
14: <laughs> <laughs> he actually got covid last week mick oh and no he the week before yeah so he made it back to school on tuesday and that was another huge achievement for him because covid really frightened him and i suppose for all of us who were just afraid um but he he took it <laughs> by storm and, and got through it and you know, I've had the COVID, I'm good now, aren't I? Is what he said. Oh,
1: brilliant. That sounds um, like a great attitude. So it? the I,
14: time I, I, Ryan absolutely. Adam King and uh, so many others before. him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Look, exactly. Let's get another there. Adam on it.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> yes, I, I've please. been exposed to the great work that Enable Ireland does back in the day and, and they still continue to do it. Let's give them a shameless plug, shall we?
14: Oh, my God. Well, you couldn't be talking to a more appreciative family. We are absolutely in awe of them. Um, it's not easy what they do, it's not easy what they accomplish, but Adam is what he is from day one in CUMH and, and early intervention just kept being repeated to us. Adam needs early intervention for any quality of anything, never mind getting up on a walker, or Mick, you know, it, it just quality of life. A life, first of all and foremost, you know, when you're told go home and take lots of videos and pictures, you know yourself. Mm-hmm. You just keep talking to him, don't you, and Absolutely. bring him on, and, and that's what they did too, and they see his potential, they've worked with everything, you know, this marathon is because Daryl came, took his picture for a photo shoot in Enable Ireland, and Adam said, where's the walk, where's my marathon, and poor Daryl was looking at him going, <laughs> like, it's not here today, Adam, you know, and Adam said, okay, Mom, when are we doing it? Wow. And that's it, that's it, we're here, finishing a marathon for Naval Island, and Adam wants to help. He couldn't understand, obviously, the conception that people do this, Adam, you want to fundraise.
1: Yeah, I know, and, and, and said, the fundraising has been enormous. So congratulations yeah? to Adam and his Town junior <laughs> infant uh, classmates. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, over 11, 11,000 euros. Um, 11,000.
14: Yeah, he, over 11,000 so far. Um, he's going to cross the line in Kinsale, Regatta to complete the whole lot on the 29th of July with his uncle um, for the five-mile run. And that will be Adam's marathon fully complete. He's just going to support him who's so oh, doing brilliant. it for Enable Ireland also. Well done. So we're very, very grateful to everyone he's met.
1: Well, I hope he hears this and uh, me chatting to his mum and, and that we can relate to him how absolutely proud everybody he is will. of Adam And when Adam you see Clark.
14: him on his walker and are driving by, give him a shout out. He's, All right. he's a very treffy
1: lad. Therese, thanks a million for coming on this thanks morning and well done to Adam. Thanks
14: to everyone for supporting his walk.
1: Thanks a million. All the best to you. Bye-bye. Thank
14: you. Have a good
1: day. Thanks. 0818-104-106 oh, oh oh if you want to get in touch.
5: Funny,
1: in Dennis from Dillon's Cross. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. you. Okay, you are our winner today. You're going to see Elton John live in the park on uh, Friday night. How do you feel? Fantastic, Nick. Thank you very much. for making my dear. <laughs> Who are you going to bring? I'm going to bring a first cousin of mine. She's a huge fan of right, so the two of us from go all together. All right, so enjoy it and uh, make sure you get there on time and you'll have all the fun of the fair. Elton's last uh, show, his last tour coming to Cork on Friday night, the park keep. Dennis from Dillon's Cross, congrats, you're a winner today. More tomorrow. On the
5: ball, Nick. Thank
1: you very Cheers,
0: much. on the ball. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Six minutes to 12
1: midday. I want to say a big happy 60th birthday for today. To dad, Neil O'Connor from Kilcully and his wife, Carl, his daughters, Elaine, Gemma and Laura and his three grandsons, Jake, Harry and Rory. Uh, we hope he has an amazing day as he deserves it. Now, it's a red letter day and we didn't want to let the programme slip by without mentioning today marks the 100th anniversary of the beginning of the Civil War. It lasted almost a year, it cost 2,000 lives, it devastated this country and the cost of the physical destruction has been put in 1922 values at 50 million pounds, poons or whatever they were called at that time, pounds I suppose. Gabriel Doherty is a lecturer at UCC History School. Good morning, Gabriel. Good morning. Now, 100 years on, have we forgotten the impact and the import of this civil war and how it created the country we have today?
15: Uh, No, I don't think so. Uh, I think that the the memory of the Civil War has probably been slightly overshadowed by, I suppose, (laughs) the more popular memory, the more widespread memory of the the War of Independence, especially here in Cork. But uh, I don't think the the memory of the Civil War has ever been or could ever be uh, erased, both in terms, as you said, of the the physical destruction, the loss of lives, and perhaps the, the... the imprint it left on on the national psyche, coming so soon after, as it were, what was widely interpreted as as a sort of a, a win in the war of independence, the extent to which the, the British were withdrawing from Ireland, uh, for those who participated in that struggle to to fall out so spectacularly and and engage in internecine conflict was came mm-hmm. as a a huge shock at the time, and we know
1: so to the present day. Yeah, so so 100 years and six months ago, the leaders of the Irish War of Independence signed a treaty with Britain that ended the war and offered limited independence inside, however, the British Commonwealth. There would be no Irish Republic, and the new entity would be known as the Irish Free State. The other caveat there was all members of the new Irish Parliament, the Doyle, would have to swear an oath of allegiance to the British Crown.
15: Yes, and, uh, of course, those were issues at the very heart of the Civil War. I personally uh, would, would draw a distinction between the Treaty split, which certainly defined the the two sides in the Civil War and was, as it were, a domestic issue, and the series of events that led to the outbreak of the Civil War, uh, where I think the situation is more complicated the, in a nutshell. Um, Well, more complicated because it
1: meant it confirmed the partition of this island.
15: Not so much that, although, actually, (laughs) and this is uh, an aspect of the treaty that is almost completely misunderstood, the treaty provided for, in the first instance, for the Irish Free State to, to encompass all 32 counters, or B, as it gave the Northern Ireland Parliament the right to vote itself out, which, of course, was highly likely, and that's what actually happened. But the real complication about the actual series of events that led to the outbreak of the war uh, is much more to do with, as it were, British pressure being put on Michael Collins um, to deal with the Four Courts garrison in, in Dublin, um, and this, in turn, led back to the British misreaction as it were the, the, the misunderstood reaction of the British to the assassination of Henry Wilson which had occurred a few days before the British blamed the four Courts scourts and the anti-treaty forces uh, for that assassination uh, in, in practice the four, four courts and had nothing whatsoever to do with the assassination of Wilson but it was a pretext by which the British government could put sure. pressure on Collins to in effect hold up his side of the bargain that had been signed yeah. six months before so that that involvement of the British government uh, even though, of course, it, it doesn't become directly involved in the civil war, and it is purely a domestic issue, I think really should not be neglected when we're looking at the, the actual outbreak itself for 100 years on.
1: Yeah, I, I think Colin saw it gave Ireland not the ultimate freedom all nations desire, his words, but the freedom to achieve it at some stage. So on two sides, you have the, provision, you have the provisional government supporting the treaty and then the anti-treaty IRA, which saw it essentially as a betrayal of the Irish Republic.
15: Yeah, I mean, in effect, the two sides adopt different emphases. The, the pro-treaty government says it gives us, as it were, the famous phrase, an independent Irish republic. The pro-treaty side says that, in effect, it gives us independence. The anti-treatyites said that we need the republic. Um, and there, I suppose, thinking back to the, the important inspiration that was drawn by all the Republicans from the 1916 Rising, that distinction between independence which, in effect, state status suffered, ah. um, and a Republican form of government, which, of course, was what was laid down in 1916, therein laid the, the difference.
1: So, 100 years ago today, uh, inside the four courts, uh, the anti-treaty IRA men inside, given almost no time at all to consider demands before the Free State Army opened fire with borrowed British artillery just after 4 o'clock in the morning yep. on this day in 1922.
15: And, uh, and, and I think the important point to note there is that the British Medicare to Collins that if he didn't undertake the attack, they would. And that, that re engagement of the British Army, which had been evacuating uh, the country, including Cork, over the, pre- the intervening six months, was the crucial factor. Collins felt that, that the one thing he could not allow was for the British Army to re engage in Ireland. So, mm-hmm. uh, in effect, he felt that he had no choice but to accede to, to that demand.
1: Yes, well, sad. And can I, uh, Quick question Cork back in 21, our awareness here, I have very little time left. Did it cause civil unrest in court
15: not immediately no primarily because the anti-treaty forces were in control uh, of the city within the space of about sort of five weeks of course you have an attack a, a maritime attack initially landing in passage and then a full scale battle along the Rochettown Douglas Road mm-hmm. uh, that ultimately led to the, the take over the city by uh, the anti treaty forces and ultimately the visit of Michael Collins to Cork that led to his death
1: that led to his death Gabriel Doherty you're going to have to leave it there we could talk for ages about it but it's important to mark it 100 years ago today the start of the Irish Civil War the programme produced today by Seamus Wheelahan Kevin Galvin and Claire O'Connor And my thanks to them.
0: Neil Prendeville, the voice of Cork. Weekdays 9 to 12. Cork's Red FM.